panel. Uh, a few housekeeping items before we get formally started. Please, if you have a cell phone, if you could turn it off or put it on vibrate, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, second, if you have a comment on an item this evening, there are comment slips located in the back of the room. If you could bring them to the front to the Commission Secretary, we'd greatly appreciate it and have you come forward to speak on your item. And lastly, uh, if you are called forward to speak, if you could limit your comments to three minutes, there will be a clock to help guide your time. We'd greatly appreciate it. With that, can we please have roll? Commissioner Coville. Here. Farrell. Here. Lofaso. Here. Lucian. Here. Hoffman. Absent. Lindsay. Here. Ogilvie. Here. Buckabom. Rogers. Absent. Juan Conley. Here. Yi. Here. Vice Chair Burke. Here. And Chair Bodipo Memba. Here. We have a quorum. Thank you. Well, on to item number one, the approval of meeting minutes from May 25th, 2017. Do we have a motion to approve? We have a motion to approve from Commissioner Juan Connolly, second from Commissioner LaFaso. Can we please do a vo voice vote? All those in favor, please say aye. Aye. All those opposed? Any abstentions? Seeing none, we have a unanimous vote. Item number two, the director's report. Ms. Gillespie, welcome back. Thank you, Chair Bonipo Memba. So first of all, I want to thank um, one of our principal planners, Stacia Cosgrove, for the fantastic job she did at our meeting two weeks ago, filling in in this chair. So your hard act to follow, thank you. Then the reason I was not here is I had been invited to represent the city in Montreal and my French is really bad, but the event was sponsored by Vive en Ville, en Ville, see, French bad, um, where I was invited to speak about our climate action plan. And so I have a program to pass around to commissioners to see. Unfortunately, it's in French. <laughs> so I was interpreted and um, then I was able to wear a headset when I heard the other speakers. So I um, was really awed that one of the speeches was by the former mayor of Paris, the Honorable Bertrand Delano, who was fabulous. He spoke for 40 minutes without a note. So um, really advocating for climate change. Um, controls and and responding to these issues throughout throughout the world so it was wonderful to hear and then the mayor former mayor of Houston Anise Parker spoke and had an enjoyable dinner with her afterwards and Carl Infante who is the incoming president of the American Institute of Architects um, national level also spoke so I felt very flattered to represent the city. And the takeaway is that the types of GHG distribution that we're seeing here in Sacramento is very similar to what they're seeing in Montreal. The difference is they don't have our heat island effect issue that, that we're so concerned about. So it was fun and I have some pictures that um, Michael is sharing with you. 
really interesting. I spent Friday walking along their waterfront and uh, have some photos here of some of the things that, that I saw, including containers being used for small shops, small independent shops, a beach. If you can imagine going to the beach in Montreal, um, it, was, it looked a lot of fun with umbrellas, and even people fishing on the canal and river. So uh, that was pretty cool. And on the other side, you see a bike club with all their safety vests and some of the street furniture and the scale of housing that they have on the waterfront. So it was very informative, and I'm happy I had the invitation to go. Next, I want to talk about something fun for you. Um, I've mentioned a few times that the American Planning Association State Conference is going to be held September 23rd through 26th. I'm very proud to say that 11 of our staff members um, at the Planning Division are going to be either involved in presentations or doing walking tours. So we have a really good uh, level of involvement. So on your, your um, desk top in front of you, you'll find the program for Sunday. And Sunday has a lot of activities for planning commissioners, starting with breakfast at 8 o'clock, and then a session which I think we might find interesting called You Said What? Um, <laughs> about public hearings. That will be followed by a keynote that we are hoping will be presented by our Mayor Daryl Steinberg. And then a session will follow on strategies to influence public policy. And then we get into some more, um, one more session called What Are They Thinking? How to Communicate Effectively with Your Boards and Commissions. And then the fun parts. So there's an award ceremony at 445. Um, we have submitted the rail yards and have not heard on the state level if uh, and won't hear for some time yet if uh, we will be selected. And then that will be followed by a party on our street starting at 6.30. So it's a, a pretty busy day. And commissioners, if you would like to go, I'm passing around a sign-up sheet. So early registration um, ends in uh, just after our next meeting on the 24th. So if you know today you want to attend, please sign up. Um, otherwise, let me know at, by our next meeting. So upcoming meetings, June 20th, City Council, we will be presenting the housing element and the general plan annual report, which you all have already seen. Um, given complicated agendas at City Council that those presentations were postponed. And then a preview for our next meeting on the 22nd, um, do I have the date right? 14, yes, 22nd of June. Um, we will be continuing the Marjorie Way um, to July 20th, so that, um, but we will have 515 Market, Wanston Oak Subdivision, and we will continue our discussion about rules. So listening to the minutes from your last meeting, there was not any discussion, but 
um, that will be the time when you will take any action, propose any changes, and, and vote if you want to continue as they are. And then the last item that we're hoping to have on the agenda will be um, temporary shelters in um, churches and other congregations. So this is a proposal the mayor has introduced um, asking that 20 churches step forward and each sub, um, sponsor 20 homeless people at their facilities. So it requires a slight code change. So we'll be, we expect to bring some text to you at the next meeting. That concludes my report. Uh, so we have one question from commissioners, Commissioner LaFosso. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Two questions, one process, one substantive. Substantive first. Marjorie Way, yes. um, not to quibble on process, but I think we continue to a time certain with staff flexibility, so you're using the flexibility, that's all fine. Any insight on what the, what the substance of the discussion is that you're going to work out between now and July? We are um, facilitating a meeting with the community. And we hope to have that the last week of June. Okay. Appreciate that. I, I think all, after the hearing last time, we all understand what that's about. Um, did I understand you switching subjects to say that even though we didn't contemplate or entertain any changes to our rules last time, that later in the summer we need to affirmatively adopt our rules notwithstanding? I didn't, wasn't aware that we affirmatively adopted our rules once they were adopted. Aaron, you completed your uh, your review and there were no suggested changes or no direction to staff to bring them back for possible action. So unless you want to do something like that, you're done. Oh, okay. I stand corrected. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Commissioner LaFosso. Thank you, Mr. Heron. Any other questions for Ms. Gillespie? I want to say thank you again for representing Sacramento and Montreal. I can imagine uh, uh, you did an amazing job and also had an opportunity to hear from some, some great other great leaders uh, in climate change across the world. So looking forward to talking to you offline and learning some more. Thank you. All right, we'll move on to the public hearing. And before we move forward, uh, to reaffirm the statement from Ms. Gillespie, item number three, P1. 6-029 Marjorie Way tentative subdivision map has been continued to July 20th. So if you are here for that item, um, again, we apologize and there will be a notification provided uh, prior to that July 20th meeting to confirm that date. Also, uh, item number 6, P17-011 market 515 alcohol sales has also been continued to June 22nd. So again, if you're here for that item, um, please come back on the 22nd where that item will be heard. So moving forward. Item number four, P16-048, B-side bar and music venue. Um, before we hear from Mr. Hannibut, are there any disclosures or recusals regarding this item? Commissioner LaFaso. I had a brief phone conversation with the applicant and a couple contacts with uh, individuals from the community. Thank you. Very much. Commissioner Yee. I spoke with a representative of the applicant and our conversation was reflected in the uh, staff report. Thank you very much. 
Seeing no further comments, Mr. Hannibal, good evening. Thank you, Chair Padipa Memba and members of the Commission. My name is Michael Hannibal, the Community Development Department. I'm here to present the B-Side Bar and Music Venue Project, which is located at both 1430 S Street and 1912 15th Street. The project consists of a patio addition to the existing B-Side Bar, a new apartment unit, and a new mu music venue fronting 15th Street. Now, staff hasn't received any correspondence and is not aware of any opposition to the project and has deemed the project to be non-controversial and recommends approval of the requested entitlements. And this will conclude my presentation and staff is available for any questions. And I want to hand it over to the applicants for a brief int introduction and presentation. Morning, Chair, members of the Commission. Um, my name is Philip Harvey. I'm with Cushman Architects, representing um, Brett Bear and the B-Side Bar and Music Venue. Uh, I really don't have any presentation. I want to thank staff for their, their hard and diligent work on this one. Uh, we started with a smaller project, and Brett, who is one of the, the manager of, manager, correct? Ace of Spades. Ace of Spades. So he uh, wanted to build a music venue that would accommodate a smaller, more indie-type level of music, more geared towards the Sacramento region in Northern California because Ace of Spades has become more of a national touring group-type destination in the country. It's pretty well known. So the, the whole idea of the music venue is to have uh, more indie bands. It was kind of uh, designed along the basis of the Troubadour Club in Los Angeles, which is a very intimate venue for up to 200, 250 people on a two-level where everybody's very close to the stage. Um, so we've really tried to design the project, that portion of the project, so that we're focused inward to the building itself with more of a basic storefront and a second floor uh, deck. Um, the other portion of the project, which we just started quite a bit earlier with Brett, um, was the uh, patio and extension of the B-side. And the whole idea with the patio was to provide a place where people could go outside. We're not proposing as a conditional use permit because we were increasing the area where alcohol com consumption can be um, can be you can consume alcohol on the outside but it's to one of the reasons is to make it an outdoor area where people who smoke out in front of the building now will be in the back of the building in a more protected space off the public sidewalk and they can also go out there and then there's a component with a garage on the ground floor and a second floor living unit which is complementary to the living unit above the existing B site itself and then a covered patio between the two on the second floor so I'd like to introduce Brett. He is the, um, the owner of the property. The B-Site is managed by or run by the um, Shady Lady folks who have several restaurants in Sacramento. So very invested in the R Street corridor, and we want to bring this, this other entertainment venue um, to the corridor. We've, we've gone through the staff report. We agree with the conditions of approval. Um, we did uh, have the noise study because there was a concern raised about noise coming from the the venue the music venue itself and particularly going out the east side and if you read through this through the um acoustic study by uh, bollard acoustical consultants uh, you'll find that basically as we all know that the 15th 16th and r street corridor areas the ambient noise level is fairly high um, we we actually is higher than the threshold in the city right now and and that even with the addition of the b side music venue that will um, be a little bit below that threshold or will be below what the ambient level is currently in the area. And uh, we're willing to do 
the, the conditions that they put in there to help to mitigate that noise, which is mostly if the doors open, if somebody goes out on the patio or something during a performance, that we have acoustical materials on the inside of the building to help deaden that. Uh, positioning of the, of, the, of the amplified sounds, things like that. And then the other thing is we've also agreed to do a noise study once the venue is built and make sure that it conforms to what we're trying to do with the, the mitigation measures as well. So it's a great um, venue that I think is going to really add to the, the entertainment value of the corridor. Uh, Brett has, we did meet with the um, Richmond Grove Neighborhood Association. There were some neighbors there and there were some good ideas that were brought up in terms of helping to point people towards transit passes because it's a block away from the 16th and 15th Street light rail station. Also working out something with the equity office building and the large parking structure, or as I call it, the building that killed the R Street corridor, um, that the large parking structure there, they can park there at night as well. So looking for ways to have alternative forms. And of course, with a lot of the people who are a lot younger than me that use these venues, Uber and Lyft are obviously really big big options for them as well. So I'd like to introduce Brett. He just went. Well, thank you. He uh, basically described the project pretty well. Um, but for the most part, you know, I've been a lifelong Sacramentan and I've lived in Midtown, you know, since my 20s. Actually, I don't live in Midtown anymore. Um, but for the most part, my goal was to basically build, you know, an intimate small music venue that is basically, you know, built just for music. I think there's a lot of cool, you know, small music venues that already exist in downtown, midtown, but this building would be the first that is built, just, you know, just for music. So that was really my goal and my accomplishment. Thank you for your time. And, and as I mentioned, we do agree with the conditions of approval, including the 42 conditions from the from Sergeant Wan, who's a great guy. And uh, Brett's obviously an operator, and he's worked uh, several facilities like this around the city. He's very used to the the requirements and the needs, and we want to be a good neighbor and work with our neighbors. The good neighbor policy in there is perfectly acceptable to us. Um, the other thing that you should, uh, we should mention is that the B-side, the music venue itself will also be open for other opportunities. Um, could be comedy nights. It could be uh, use it as a corporate venue for presentations, things like that. So they really want it to have have a, a multi-use kind of operational facility. It will serve food as well as alcohol, so it will be going for that, so all ages will be allowed in the building. And I do want to thank staff working with uh, Michael and, and Evan and uh, Tom and the environmental people and the, the design manager as well helped her, because it's really been a fun project, so thank you. Any questions? Thank you. Commissioner LaFosso with a question. Thank you, uh, Mr. Chair. Not to make too much of an issue about it, um, I had a difficult time reconciling the site plan with the site and the Google map just because of all the foliage on the southern end of the I'm, I'm, I'm clear that the, that the entertainment venue we're talking about is a completely new structure, but did I read somewhere in the staff report that we're removing some trees or something? Are they sort of skinny new trees? There's a couple of really small trees in the back portion and the kind of more of the southwest portion. They're, they're very small of the music venue site itself. There's, there's actually, Brett owns, there's four, three parcels on the corner. The B-side's on a 40 by 80 on the corner. The music venue's a 40 by 80, and then he owns the 40 by 80 next door, which is the parking lot. So, and the, the vegetation you're talking about, uh, Commissioner Lafazzo, really is the south, south of the music venue site is another parcel that goes to the alley that's completely surrounded by an ivy-covered um, chain-link fence that's part of the parking facility for the, I think it's the air quality or air resources board uses that site. So 
Mr. Baird doesn't own that parcel, correct? No. No, okay. that's, a, that's another owner. Appreciate it. Two quick things just before I yield. Um, you mentioned the other potential uses of the entertainment venue. Mm -hmm. I didn't think to ask this until just now. I had, I had sort of envisioned some kind of cabaret seating, but are you going to have, you know, different kind of seating arrangements? Are you going to be able to rearrange it for theater seating? I'm just curious what your internal seating arrangement I mean, is. The one thing about this venue is that it will have many uses besides just music. Um, it, you know, we plan on building a kitchen with it. So obviously, if you do want to do, you know, a corporate event, you want to do, you know, a speaker series, you want, you know, we can't. We will have those abilities. Um, you know, seating is something obviously, you know, like we do at Ace of Spades. You know, if we have seated events, we just rent chairs, you know. Um, I'm sorry, what was your other question? Yeah, there is no fixed seating in, in the facility. It's, it's all, it would be movable seating and, and tables if somebody wanted to have an event in there. Thank you for indulging my curiosity. I'm just going to make a closing comment and say that uh, I'm going to hold on any sound questions until after the public testimony. I will say I thought the study was pretty thorough, but uh, I'll wait for the public testimony. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Commissioner LaFosso. Commissioner Juan Connolly. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, my, I just have a quick, quick question on the, actually on the noise study. So if I understand correctly, your acoustic consultant concluded that uh, they recommend the door be closed during the event, otherwise the noise at the neighbor will exceed the city threshold, right? Basically correct. What happens is, though, that the whole area already exceeds the city threshold. So, so yeah, they, they said whenever possible to keep the door closed during a, uh, a, an event. Obviously, somebody goes out to the – they're allowed to go out to the second floor during a music event and be open very briefly for that, that occurrence when somebody comes and goes from the door. But it would not be left or kept open during either the front door or downstairs or the door on the balcony itself. But then they also go further and they say that – that we can do acoustical treatments inside the building to help, like not pointing the speakers towards the outside, because sound tends to be a, a line of sight issue. So try to keep it contained within the building itself, which is a, a concrete block structure. And then using acoustical paneling on the back wall, that the, which would be in the interior, would be the east wall of the, of the entertainment venue itself. So to try and keep, keep the noise in, contained in the building as much as possible. Okay, so there is a remedy if uh, after the uh, the sound study, um, then there are things that you can do from an architectural perspective right. to reduce the sound. So I, my question is on the door to the patio of the second uh, floor. So that is a dining area. So I would um, imagine that the door will be in and out, people will be in and out the whole time. At least that's what the drawing is shown as a dining area. Um, the, the patio space on the second floor? Yeah. It's not, it's not really a dining area. It's more for people to go out and, again, it's a place for people to go out and smoke. And to they can take their drink out there with them, but during the events, we have a, a roll-up door that is, serves the bar area that could go out in the dining area. That would be closed during the event. So basically the only way to go in and out would be through the man door there, and it would be closed when somebody's not going in and out. So. Okay. So dining area or people just go there to smoke, the, the door would be uh, open and closed or open A little bit, yeah, as so, people go in and out. We're hoping that people stay inside the venue during the event because they paid to come and see the event as opposed to going in and out. But, but there will be a little bit of that going in then, and out. Well. Uh, do you object to um, make it clear in the condition that when they do the noise study, they can simulate the actual condition yeah. that the door could, could be uh, like a, it will, how it would be when it's actually in use, or open and close, and then you measure, and then um, 
There's actually a condition approval in here that, that we will do a noise study once the building is built and we'll either do it as a test run before the building opens for operation or we'll do it immediately on one of the first venues so that they can actually measure the noise and see what's going on because, you know, right now it's somewhat theoretical with what's going on out there. But, but we do agree to that condition and then that we would take additional measures if we need to to make sure that we mitigate any noise um, leaving from the venue itself. Our, our goal is to not have an impact on the surrounding neighborhood as much as possible, is to, to mitigate all of those. So if, if we do that study once the building's built and we either run a, a test, I think that's the way it was written, Evan, is if we run a test, you know, we, I don't know, we get Journey in there and they do a big concert and just blurring it out. You know, we want to make sure that the mitigation workers measures work for what we're trying to do here. Yeah, appreciate that effort. So I will uh, make sure if uh, it's possible that staff can make it clear in that condition that the door uh, can be simulated as the actual condition yes, while during the, uh, the study. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we will do that. We'll run it. We'll run the facility as if there was um, something going on in there and, and do the measurements and everything. So appreciate the comment, though. Great. So, thank you. Okay. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Wong Conley. Commissioner Yi. Uh, a minor observation on continuing about the noise. Um, I noticed that the uh, the area of the outdoor air, uh, balcony uh, allows for 25 occupants in that area. And knowing that the roll-up door will be closed during an event, 25 people chatting, what have you, can create a bit of noise. And I think the discussion so far has been focused on noise generated from the event interior to the building. Uh, and knowing what you have said about the ambient noise level, uh, I would be curious uh, if, I don't know if you could simulate this before it's open or monitor it after it's open, uh, but the noise, the sporadic noise that happens with conversations and glassware and all of that that happens, uh, let alone smoking, uh, can create uh, a bit of a jarring notion, especially at midnight uh, when it's still open. Uh, maybe take a look at that in the noise study too. Uh, the study does look at the the decibel level increase because of voices. It's, it's a five decibel increase. Right. So it does discuss that. Okay. So specifically yeah. from, the, from from that balcony area. You know, it yeah. may be possible to raise that glass rail a bit sure. to try to deflect a little more and still not lose a sense of uh, an outdoor space and such. We can look at that. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you Commissioner Yee. Okay, no further questions from my fellow commissioners. I, I do have a few myself. Um, just more of a baseline question. Does the current, the current B-side facility actually have a music venue or are there music acts that play the current B-side? No, it, it's, it has a jukebox, basically. But yeah, it, it basically has uh, DJs yeah. like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Right. Okay. But they don't have a it's band. A, it, the capacity is only 44 people, so it's 1,100 square feet. Got it's it. small. And then in terms of the design material, just maybe give me a little more background as to the music venue has more of a metallic look. Right. Somewhat stark contrast to the existing B-side. Give me a little bit well, of thought. Well, we kind of did that purposely. Um, 
For one thing, we wanted the, the B-side, the addition to the B-side to kind of look like the B-side. So you see it, it's the same materials and the horizontal siding and the same colors and everything so it really ties together. But, but like in a lot of the midtown and downtown areas, when you go from one storefront to the next, it changes quite a bit. Because I think that's one of the nice things that's about midtown is that there's a lot of variety. And what we try to do with the B-side, because like most storefronts on smaller lots, they're basically a one-sided building where the, the storefront is what you really see. So it's, they really tend to be boxes with a storefront. But we wanted to bring materials to that that are kind of reflective of what's going on, a little bit more of a, uh, an edgy kind of a hip uh, indie kind of feel. So we're, we're proposing to use the, they're, they're a metal shingle type material that's in a dark core tin color. They kind of rust to a dark, uh, dark color. And then to really have the balcony be kind of a splash of color on there with the railing. And then the, the, in the middle of the building on the top where it kind of goes up, it's kind of a little bit reflective of a, of a marquee. You know, we didn't want to put the Tower Theater here or Crest, but we, you know, there's a great history in Sacramento of, of really identifying entertainment venues with some kind of, a, of an identifier like a marquee, so we wanted to do that with the music venue. Um, we also will probably come back with some kind of a blade sign or something that helps to identify the site as well. And then the other thing is we really see the north wall of the B-side of the music venue itself as being a great spot for a mural. So we really want to bring some art because it, it's the whole art street corridor and the vibe that's there is pretty, pretty dynamic and has a lot of activity. We want that to continue over to this side as well. And just, again, the, the, the metal siding component in, in the metal that exists on the front, how reflective is that? Oh, it's not reflective at all. It's, it's actually, um, it, it's, a cortian is a, is a metal that rusts, and it gets, you, you can get it in different kinds of, of colors depending on what kind of chemical you use to rust it. So what we're proposing here is it's almost a, a dark black color, and it's a, but it's a matte finish. It does not, it's not shiny at all. Thank you. Uh, those are my only questions. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Appreciate it. That'll be the opportunity for, thank you very much, for public comment. I do have one comment slip at this moment. Mr. Mark Huck. Um, Mr. Huck is asked to use the uh, <clears throat> overhead as well. Good evening. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Mark Huck. I own and live at 1430 T Street on the corner of 15th and T in the Richmond Grove neighborhood and am included in the Southside Park Historic District. I live half a block from the proposed venue. I am speaking for myself and not on behalf of the Richmond Grove neighborhood, but I will be referring to Richmond Grove as the neighborhood most closely impacted by the proposed project. I want to go on record as opposing an entertainment assembly use a half block from my neighborhood, uh, my, my residential neighborhood. It is a music and concert assembly use for 225 people and its operating hours are late night. I attended the introduction of the proposed project at a Richmond Grove Neighborhood Association meeting in April uh, where I met Mr. Bear. And, uh, I think Kuchman Architects has accounted for many of the negatives with their design. All possible negative impacts appear to have been designed uh, or have operational mitigations, uh, such as soundproofing, lines that form to the north, parking that hopefully is designated at the state parking lot on our street, uh, and the owners and managers are sincere that they want to be good neighbors, which is expected. Uh, but what cannot be controlled is the behavior of the patrons. 
There will be an increase in street yard trash. They will be looking for free parking in the residential streets to the south. They will be leaving those parking spots in an exuberant and possibly tipsy state at 2 a.m. in a residential neighborhood. Noisy patrons leaving the R Street corridor already exist on T Street and 15th Street at 2 a.m., and I would expect an increase in that. Despite soundproofing, there may be music audible to the immediate residents, of which I am one. The sound analysis performed by Bollard Consultants in the commission packet appears very thorough. It has two conclusions that interest me. One, the report demonstrates that sound levels along 15th Street exceed current Sacramento exterior noise standards. And so the maximum noise level limit would be increased to equal the measured ambient. I would say no to increase of the noise level and insist instead for enforcement of the existing noise level. It is already very loud on that corner, as the report demonstrates. Two, the report recommends additional sound control measures, and I request that the planning staff add additional soundproofing to their conditions for noise found on page 70 of the packet, and further, to make uh, the sound control plan in condition C2 available to the public. Mr. Huck, I'm going to need you to wrap up your comments. Your, your, your time is up. Already? <laughs> um, I, I will be brief. Uh, the concept narrative notes, among other benefits, that property values will be enhanced through the use of the property. That may be true of similar uses, but Mr. I would expect. Mr. Huck, I, I, I need you to close your comments. It's just at this time. Okay. Um, may I have the overhead? The larger issue is, what are the city's intentions regarding the future development of Richmond Grove? It is an issue to be addressed prior to proposed projects, not during project proposal. The zoning map, as best can be determined, is fragmented with dissimilar uses next to each other. There is commercial use zoned for currently residential property, which is across the street from single-family homes. The integrity of T Street as a residential identity becomes lessened, and once integrity starts to disappear, it becomes easier to erode further. Finally, T Street is the boundary of the primarily residential Ms. Richmond Mr. Grove Huck. neighborhood and Mr. the Southside Historic District Mr. and its integrity on both sides of the street. Mr. Huck, I'm going to have to ask you to stop at this moment. We do have a question for you, but your time is up. We've extended it beyond the three minutes. I appreciate your time. I have a question for you at this moment from Commissioner LaFosso. I appreciate your time to hear my immediate Sir, and larger questions. I'm concerns. asking you to stop with your presentation. We have a question. Yes. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Sorry, Mark. He's just trying to tell you you're out of time. Um, you, right around the time your time ran out, you said something about page 70 of the packet. Can you just, in a very brief way, explain what you were referring to? My pagination's a little different, so I wasn't sure what page you were talking about. Um, there was a section in the staff report on noise, and it had uh, recommendations, and they were numbered one, two, three, oh, four, five, okay. and that they are all uh, included in the conditions. Understood. I know what you're referring to now. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Commissioner LaFosso. Thank you, Mr. Huck. I have no other comment slips from the public. Close public comment on this item. Now would be the opportunity for commissioners to provide comments and or motions, starting with Commission Vice Chair Burke. Thanks. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I just have a quick clarifying question with staff. Please correct me if I'm wrong. In the packet, I think it said that they also need an entertainment permit as well. 
What's the — is that a, from the police department? Is that from planning? Is that from revenue department? What's that about? It's actually from our code uh, enforcement code compliance section of community development. That come with additional conditions as well? Yes. Thank you, Vice Chair Burke. Commissioner LaFosso. Thank you, Mr. Chair. A couple questions, and I actually wanted to raise what Vice Chair Burke is. It, is it an entertainment permit, a land use permit, a.k.a. does it run with the land, and is it a property right? Um, those are usually for two years. Um, you can get them for two years, or you can get them for just in a special event. So um, they're they're more temporary and related to an operator. But they do expire, and the purpose of my, point of my question is they're easier to revoke than, say, a land use CUP. That's true. A subject we've given a whole lot of commentary to in my five-plus years here. Appreciate the answer. Um, apropos to Mr. Huck's questions, I'm, I'm just curious. So the, the, the issue about the ambient sound being this, the level that it is, is, and Mr. Huck's comment about enforcing it down to the level, um, can we do that? I, it, and I, I asked the question thinking that w we focus on a lot of stationary sources that we can directly regulate. There's a lot of, say, street noise that comes with being in a corridor. I'm not, I'm not trying to throw up a straw man question, but in all honesty, is, is enforcing the area down to the standard, is that legal and or feasible? What you have before you tonight is a conditional use permit for the assembly use. And so what we're reviewing is the noise that would be emitted from that. And according to the noise ordinance, um, they, they look at um, there, there's calculations for it. So what he's mentioning is how we calculate noise, um, and they're going to be consistent with the code. In relation to all the other existing uses within the area, I mean, the, the noise ordinance was written so that existing uses that they're, and roadways, they're in compliance. So it would be very difficult to start enforcing things down to a 50 or a 55. I mean, there might be freeways that are existing and things of that nature. So I don't know how you would do that. But apropos to my question, and embedded in your answer was that's outside the scope of the permit. I understood that, but just for you know public edification purposes is the basis of my question. But I heard you say that I heard you raise a feasibility issue, but I also heard you raise a legal issue, which is to say that some of that noise, perhaps that's a loaded term, at issue here is per se authorized by the ordinance because the ordinance only cracks down on certain things. Do I understand you correctly? That's correct. So if, um, like I said, if we, we look at the 5055, but there's also rules in there that allow the existing ambient noise, and that's just a citywide noise, how, how we calculate things. So what he's asking, um, it would require a code change. And like I said, there's the feasibility issue and um, policy issue with that. Appreciate your helping me vet the issue in public. Uh, final question. Um, I got hung up on this page 70 thing, which I downloaded the whole packet. I think it's page 113 in the different pagination. That's not so important. But I think that Mr. Huck was trying to ask for some more robust soundproofing, and I'm not sure. I'm not advocating it. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to vet the public's issues as thoroughly as possible and curious if you understand what that might entail, if that's feasible, just trying to give it a go around. From, from my reading of it, we incorporated all of the, the conditions. They may have been worded slightly different, but 
even on one of them, it's actually more restrictive where we took the midnight as opposed to the, the 1 a.m. On, on weekends. So I think that they've all been incorporated in the conditions of approval. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, Commissioner LaFosso. Commissioner Ogilvy. It's still okay to ask questions. We're not. I guess I have a question for the architect applicant. It seems like most of the sound trespass is going to come through the upstairs balcony. Yes. Did you consider maybe doing some kind of thicker glass window partition that can be closed during events? And then I know it's not ideal for smokers, but. We considered that, but we thought having the ability to have people be able to go into the outdoor space to get away from it, from the venue if they wanted to without negatively impacting, you know, I mean, I think the noise study basically says that that the ambient speaking noise up there, that was, I think, one of the biggest concerns that originally came from environmental services when we started looking. It wasn't so much the venue itself, but it was the second floor balcony. So we really didn't look at enclosing it totally, but that's something we could consider. I, I just think One thing would, I notice at events, especially when they get crowded and when you're upstairs, is they get very warm. So people will often prop doors and windows open, yeah. and I can see that happening here very easily. Yeah, and we want it to be an inviting place to go out if you want to. So, you know, having fresh air sometimes in a, is, is a good thing to have as well. So. It's not unlike, you know, there's a lot of venues in, in downtown like Cupolos or some of the other places that have outdoor patios on the second floor that look over the, the street. And in, you know, the, the noise issue and everything is obviously the entire downtown area is a non-attainment zone for noise. Thank you to the Caltrans freeways. But, um, you know, we're trying, we, we want to definitely do whatever we can to be as a good neighbor and take care of those issues as much as possible. Thanks. Thank you, Commissioner Ogilvie. Uh, we are still looking for a motion, and there's an opportunity again for Commissioner's comment. Commissioner LaFosso. thought I'd let everybody get their stuff out before helping you cut to the chase, Mr. Chair. Uh, I, I, just a quick, two, two quick comments. I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to move the staff recommendation, uh, entertaining any additions to clarify that issue that Commissioner Wong Connolly raised in her question, which I think the applicant agreed to, and hopefully staff understood, worked that out. Um, my two comments are, I, I sympathize with Mr. Huck as the applicant was talking about this all. I'm starting to imagine this corner looking kind of like what the press code looks like on a Friday night, which is, you know, it was pretty robust. There's lots happening. And, you know, if I understand correctly, um, Mr. Huck's home, which he was gracious enough to allow me to tour as part of the Preservation Sacramento home tour in 2015, so I know where it is, um, is a block down. And a block up, of course, is Iron Horse Tavern, Ace of Spades, whatever the Cafe Bernardo Monkey Bar 15 is called, whatever it's called these days. Um, you know, it tells us what's happening to 15th, which, you know, was part of the grand vision. The other comment I just wanted to make is I'm, uh, I don't know if it's good or bad, but, you know, I channel the mood through Facebook discussions, and there was this uh, grumpy commentary amongst some Facebook friends of mine about some city policy about large entertainment venues and sort of international acts and losing sight of the local character of some of our entertainment stuff. And I see your project, Mr. Bear, is sort of indicative of the local stuff coexisting with the big stuff, 
which I think is a good trend, a visioning, you know, lots of different kinds of things appealing to lots of different kinds of tastes, being able to coexist in our growing city. And in that regard, I think all of this is very encouraging. So uh, fully aware of, of, of the growth issue and the stress on all our central city neighbors as our city grows. Um, again, I move the staff recommendation. We have a motion to move staff's recommendation by Commissioner LaFosso, second from Commissioner Coville. Any additional comments? Seeing none, I, I just have one comment slash question. Uh, Sergeant One, can you maybe come forward real quick? Pay for you to come all the way out here and not get a chance to talk to us. Thank you Good very evening. much. Just a quick question. There were some comments made about uh, the patrons' behavior. Just could you give us a real quick high-level uh, discussion about uh, the police concern about patrons at, at the event or at the venue? Should it be adopted? Um, sure. So we uh, we have actually a special team of a sergeant and several officers called the we call them the entertainment team, for lack of a better word, and their job. Um, in partnership with patrol is uh, they work Wednesday night through Saturday night most weeks and they work until 3 a.m. and they are kind of to deal with bar these exact problems they do inspections they work very closely with community development department with the entertainment permit process um, they work with the ABC enforcement unit which I'm the sergeant of so if they recognize a problem, they'll be the ones out there um, writing tickets for the entertainment violations. And um, I think they have a pretty good relationship with a lot of the, the club owners in town and work with them very steadily. Um, so it's within what they normally do. And, um, you know, if they drive by and the doors are supposed to be closed and there's an open door, they will go warn management and maybe the next time it might be a citation, those kinds of things. Thank you very much. That's all I have. Thanks. Okay. Uh, before we take a vote on that motion, we have comments from Commissioner LaFosso. Commissioner Yee. Uh, I appreciate your question, Mr. Chair. I thought I'd follow up and ask Mr. Sergeant Juan to come back down. My apologies. So I'll slowly utter the question as you walk down. So just, just in fairness to the neighbor's concern about the crowd, um, sort of a two-part question that you can – so – we all know that when you have a more robust entertainment area, people do congregate. They're either waiting to get in the club or they're waiting to get their Uber or they're off to their their light rail pass, go Richmond Grove neighborhood. Um, what, what kind of a nexus does the department draw in terms of, you know, the behavior of people who are likely patrons of an establishment nearby and the consequences for their conduct and the establishment's entertainment permit? Well, uh, it's a typical, if this is, the, I'm not sure if this is where you're going, but it's a typical entertainment violation or condition that the security for the club kind of move the crowd along quickly after the club closes. Um, so they should be keeping their sidewalk around their venue and their own property clear of loitering and, and people kind of congregating. It's, it's kind of a given about the line. Uh, the, there's going to be a lineup beforehand. Um, but what they normally do is after the club closes, they come out 
to get everyone out of the club and then they push them off the sidewalk into the wherever they're going don't just don't be here is kind of it's kind of what they do um, and that's so that's kind of uh, that's very standard and um, kind of prevents the uh, a lot of complaints we get are the kind of loitering afterwards and um, sometimes it's people that aren't even attending the club but they just kind of hang out outside and wait for the club to end to end so they can you know meet people and do whatever they do so that's part of it but it's also just the the part of having a large group of people suddenly in one spot and so that's part of their entertainment that will be part of their entertainment um, permit I'm sure is that kind of where you're going I uh, know it very much I really appreciate the answer and just to sort of make this easier just in fairness uh, Mr. Huck is a civically engaged Central City resident a former preservation commissioner if you do me a favor and do anything you can to give them up to speed on what from a resident standpoint are the best ways to address excesses in his view of the oh, crowd sure. around the place that would be really helpful yeah, absolutely we want to be uh, receptive to those kinds of things and we definitely don't want to have problems it's that balance of finding a good active nightlife and letting people still live in the area undisturbed appreciate it very much Thank sure you. absolutely Thank you, before you leave I just want to make sure Commissioner you have a comment <laughs> thank you you know there uh, Ace of Spades I believe sometimes has a line around the block or half a block what has your, been your experience in the conduct of those standing in line well I've I've worked it as a uh, sometimes Ace of Spades will hire uh, police officers to come stand there and be security for the for that area and I've worked that line and I've noticed some uh, surreptitious drinking in line uh, but normally it's kind of just they can't wait to get in and they're happy and jovial and there's not usually a problem um, with the line although it just becomes I just because it goes around the block so it's hard to keep an eye on the whole thing at once you have to kind of walk back and forth so but is it your opinion and I'm not sure that's a condition to such is it not the responsibility of the venue management to while they're outside the building are they not in some way responsible for conduct before and after uh, their patrons before and after I would agree I would agree to some extent that that's true and um, I definitely think there's some case law about that um, but I don't know I don't want to speak to I'm not an attorney but I'm not, I don't want to speak to that too much except to say that I think we would hold them responsible especially if they have a plan for their line that they're not following and the plan could be developed here uh, and I'm not sure if there is one regarded to uh, this related to this site, but or entertainment be, permit, permit might have it also. Or could it be portion a part of the uh, entertainment permit to yeah, believe, some sort. Of I believe that would be the appropriate place for it. I think I've seen those kinds of things. And I do recognize that there is uh, a weekday operating hours to midnight, and while midnight sounds okay for patrons to exit do what they do as you had mentioned it could be 12 30 1 o'clock before it all the dust settles and I do have some concerns that effectively the hours of operation hours of impact actually exceed midnight and so that's my concern about who is responsible for the orderly go home crowd conduct and if there is not uh, something that addresses that maybe these if not a condition at least an advisory note to those who I issue the uh, entertainment permit 
to consider that because as we do get closer to residential areas, I think that's an issue. Thank you. So, Commissioner, I just want to be clear. Are, are you asking to amend the existing motion or? Oh, now that we have a motion, I don't want to overburden it, but I, I guess it would be reasonable for me to ask the maker and secretary of the motion if some stipulation, if it's not already in the staff report, and I apologize if I don't remember it correctly. I would note that there is a condition C39 that says the applicant is responsible for reasonably controlling the conducts of persons on the site and shall immediately disperse loiterers. So I don't know if that addresses your concern or if we could modify that to address your concern. M Mr. Heron, I think, would like to, to okay. speak to that. Oh, just as a bit of background, it might be helpful. I'm not an expert on the entertainment permits, but by code, uh, there's a requirement that the permittee uh, make best reasonable efforts to control within 50 feet measured in a straight line from uh, their premises. And there's also provisions in that code for actual conditions that can be put on that specifically address disorderly contract conduct, pardon me, that might disturb the quiet peace of the neighborhood. So the entertainment permit system itself is also quite well designed to deal with those issues. And Not only does it have a hard code provision about the 50 feet, but it allows conditions to specifically tailor. So with that information, Commissioner Yee? That's sufficient. And given this discussion, and I know that the applicant is listening, the concern is, you know, uh, orderly, go home, don't make too much noise, don't linger too much. And I'll, I'll let it go with that. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Ogilvie, just to be clear, we have a motion and a second. I have a question I've been wanting to ask, and since you're up here, um, there seems to be a regular condition from police here. It's B35 that there's not to be any public payphones on the property. What's the bias to payphones? I'm very biased against payphones. Um, they have tended to be a kind of attractive nuisance over the years. Um, so uh, they're supposed to get a permit, but most of the ones we find in the city don't have a city permit. Um, they're attractive for graffiti over the years, and it might be kind of a dying problem because now everyone has a cell phone and no one really uses a payphone anymore. But that's been what it is. is traditionally, it's been a place where nefarious activity can happen. Uh, they wait for the phone call to, to come, and they do whatever dastardly deed they're going to do and move on, sell their drugs or whatever they do. So that's what it is. It's a loitering problem. It can be handy when you lose your phone or it gets stolen or there's an emergency. Yeah. Um, so we have, uh, well, that, that's the other thing is that there's not a lot going in, and the few that are out there are usually not permitted. Um, there are, there's a permit process that, that we don't really follow up on too much here, but it is out there. Has the city ever considered, like, you'll see on campuses emergency call buttons or something? I mean... Yeah, I don't know if the city has done that as a whole throughout the um, city, but I do see them in, like, parking garages, I believe, um, that are city-owned. So, and one of the problems with those has been uh, the someone walking by and just pushing the button to keep walking. Um, so there's some, probably some cost effect, uh, effectiveness to be looked at for that. But I see where you're going. I, I think it's important. And um, so the idea would be, if they're, if they're having an emergency and you have an open business there in this particular case, can they get staff to call the police or, or, or something like that? Um, or does there need to be a payphone outside where the, maybe the owner is making a little bit of money to have that payphone there, but it's also attracting people to kind of use it at weird times for bad activity? 
Thank you, Commissioner Ogilvy. Commissioner Colville. So I, I believe you'll, when you say you're going to enforce things, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, there was a venue that was just temporarily shut down. The city wasn't there. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, so that, I'm not, uh, I was an entertainment team officer back in about 2005. Okay. I, and so, and I'm not privy to all that they're doing now. It's been a while since I've done that. I do know who the sergeant is, who the officers are, and, uh, but I'm not familiar with. I believe a very popular new venue was shut down for a while, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. So I believe it'll be enforced. Okay. I think they're pretty, they're aggressive. They want to make sure that they're, because the people who are complying want everyone else to comply too. It's not fair if you're complying and your comp competition isn't. And definitely uh, there have been plenty of places in the midtown and downtown area throughout the years that have become a, a problem and this ordinance um, has evolved from that. Now there's something we can do about that. Very good, thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Sergeant Juan. Right. No Thanks. further questions. Uh, I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Commissioner Wong Connolly. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. So um, do we have a usual condition that all the uh, litter on the site need to be removed daily? That's a typical condition that police usually, do we have it on this project as well? And does that cover, um, so usually we see a, a police condition that all the uh, litter should be um, removed from the site daily? Liquor removed from the site? Uh, uh, litter. Oh, litter, litter, yeah. yeah. That's been pretty standard um, for use permits for these kinds of places does since that, I've been doing this. Okay, does it extend to the um, uh, litter left on the sidewalk by the patron that are waiting for the Lyft or Uber? Right, and so, uh, boy, so I, I believe that my language used to say uh, adjacent public rights of way or something to that effect. Um, and then it changed, I believe, that maybe one of the attorneys and I had a conversation and we believed that we shouldn't maybe use the language that I was using before, so we changed the language. Um, but I believe in the entertainment permit, there might, or the entertainment ordinance might have a, uh, if I remember correctly, I think there's an entertainment ordinance piece that has picking up the litter in it as well. But that's why I changed. I used to say uh, adjacent public rights of way, I believe, or something to that effect. And then at the advice of our attorney, we stopped using that language. What's the condition here? Condition reads, the operator shall be responsible for the daily removal of all litter from the site. And that's uh, condition C43 for the music venue and B40 for the bar. So does that cover the litter on the sidewalk left by the patron? No, uh, the, to me that doesn't if it's not part of their property. But I, I don't know if that's a, is a sidewalk part of their property, Mr. Heron? Uh, well, they own the underlying fee in the public right away, but I, I would note that in the entertainment permit context, it also specifically has a provision about conditions uh, uh, picking up trash in the right away around the establishment. Okay, so that would be part of their entertainment. Yeah. Oh, you don't see that? No, it is there. Oh, it is there. That, yeah. That's a condition that can be imposed okay. as part of that, yeah. So that would be part of the entertainment permit, um, and I changed my language to just be on the site itself. Okay. I certainly hope that they would clean the sidewalk around their business, but. Yeah. 
All right, great. Thank you. Oh, sure, thanks. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Wong Connolly. I believe you can walk back to your seat now. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, and I just want to add, I, I intend to support the motion. Um, Mr. Huck, I appreciate your, your, your words today and your comments and your feedback. I would encourage you, if you can, to reach out uh, to Sergeant Wan. I've had the opportunity to go out with the entertainment team and, and see what they do. Uh, they do a lot of good work with a lot of the venues, and I think it would be a good opportunity to let them know uh, some of the concerns you may have in your neighborhood because those are folks who are there every Wednesday through Saturday all the way to late night. And, and I feel very confident, as Mr. Commissioner Coville said, that if there are issues that they'll follow through. So I do intend to support uh, the motion uh, by Commissioner Lofasso. Seeing that said, I believe we are prepared to vote. Commissioner Coville. Aye. Errol. Aye. Lofasso. Aye. Lucian. Lindsay? Aye. Ogilvy? Aye. Buckabom? Yes. Wong Conley? Aye. E? Aye. Vice Chair Burke? Aye. And Chair Bodipo Memba? Aye. That carries. Thank you. Congratulations. Congratulations. Moving on, item number five, P17-005. Sutterville Starbucks drive-through. Are there any disclosures or recusals? Seeing none. Slim, good evening. Good evening, Chair Bodipo member, members of the Commission. My name is Miriam Lim, and I'm the assigned planner for project number P17005, also known as Starbucks at 2104 Sutterville Road. The applicant is requesting entitlements to allow the development of a new Starbucks restaurant with a drive-through service on approximately 0.48 acres in the general commercial C2 zone. The proposal requires a conditional use permit to allow the drive-through facility and site plan and design review for the proposed restaurant. Subject site is currently occupied by a vacant office building and a sheet metal accessory structure to the rear along the south property line. The property is surrounded by Sutterville Road to the north, Sutterville Road and 15th Avenue Alley and residential dwellings to the south, a restaurant to the east, and a parking lot to the west. The applicant is requesting to demolish the existing structures in order to develop the proposed restaurant with a drive-through facility. Staff have received comments from Sacramento Area Bicycle Advocates, the Sacramento Metropolitan Air Quality Management District, and Walk Sacramento. Based on these comments, the site plan was improved by removing eight parking spaces increasing the size of the outdoor patio fronting um, Sutterville Road, and increasing short-term bicycle parking. Formal comments were also received by All Saints Episcopal Church, who owns the parking lot west of the project site. The letter was included in the staff report, as well as staff responses. No other calls or emails were received in response to staff early notification. Staff also sent notifications to the public hearing uh, to property owners and neighborhood associations within 300 feet of the project site. However, we received no calls or emails. Staff supports the project as the proposed facility will revitalize an underutilized site and will add a restaurant amenity to neighbor neighborhood. Responding to comments received on the project, the plans have been improved to provide amenities and convenience of access to pedestrian, bicyclists, and vehicles. I would like to add um, a correction to the staff report regarding the proposed floor, Asia, floor area ratio shown on table one on page four as 0.48. The correct FAR is 0.16. However, 
Sites less than an acre are exempt from the minimum FAR requirements per the general plan. This concludes my presentation, and staff is available for any questions. And the applicant team will also provide a presentation with an overview of the project. Thank you. Thank you. If, is the applicant team prepared to do the presentation? Please come forward. Good evening, Mr. Chairman, members of the Commission. Uh, my name is Frank Coda. I am a principal in the firm of Greenberg and Farrow, the architects for the project. As Miriam said, we have been working with uh, Miriam and Antonio for the, through the project, revising the site plan, addressing comments from various people uh, in the staff, as well as other comments we received uh, regarding bicycles and bike lanes. Uh, we're actually doing a dedication as part of uh, this project to uh, accommodate a future bike lane. That was a request. Um, we've increased our number of trees and reduced the number of parking from our original submission. Uh, we, as mentioned, we increased our patio. We think this is a great location across from the college there. And um, all in all, the site plan has come to where it's at today as, as shown in your uh, package. Um, the other thing I did want to mention uh, regarding the design, we did, uh, it's a fully bricked building uh, to kind of pick up on the college across the street. And so uh, from an overall design in terms of site planning and architectural, this is actually a unique building too. It's not a stock building that Starbucks has. We've, it's a brand new looking building, very contemporary, lots of glass, trying to get that interaction between the patio and inside. Um, so from there, we've, feel pretty confident on our design approach and where we are today. Uh, there is the letter from the church. We did meet with the church. Um, they are, uh, at least told us, they are in full support of the project. Um, and we worked through the prop common property line issues, and we have agreed to take care of the maintenance of the new fence we're putting in, which is one of our conditions. And, um, again, they're actually going to have, they lease a billboard to, the billboard company, they're actually going to have the billboard company paint it to bring it up and look nice and too. So uh, all in all, I think we it's a good project and we've worked through all the issues. There is one item that I do want to address on the conditions. We originally uh, had requested hours uh, from 5 a.m. to midnight. The condition now reads 6 a.m. to 11. We are fine with the 11, but as you can imagine, our morning uh, business is important to us. So. We would maybe ask for a compromise to 5.30, uh, which would be helpful for our morning commuters. Um, should be known that we do have a, a screen wall on that where the, it, to me, the issue would be noise and the speaker box, as you can imagine, and that is, um, I could point to where that is, that is back, 
in the towards the alley which of course our adjacent neighbors are behind us but we are screen wall is there that's about eight foot high screen wall and our speaker with the way our speaker box works it's an automatic volume control so as the ambient noise is down so does the speaker itself so in a very quiet time the, it's not as loud as is in a very noisy time so we would like to have at least that extra half hour that would be very appreciative but we're fine with everything else so uh, I don't really have a great present a much more presentation I did can you put up the elevations please just so you could see the colored elevations there um, and I do have with me Craig Fawcett who represents Starbucks if we need any questions from him and with that I'll conclude my presentation thank you very much we do have some questions for you and for staff so you can, Commissioner LaFosso followed by Commissioner Yee followed by Commissioner Ogilvie followed by Vice Chair Burke. thank you mr. chair I think I have three questions the first one might be for either of you the second one for staff and the third one for the Starbucks operator question one I didn't entirely get the traffic issues I think the painted median for the left turn from Sutterville going west onto 21st is going to move from a stripe to a barrier but my real question is if I'm driving west on Sutterville and I want to go to the drive-through in my car at this Starbucks at that point at 21st Street I can't make a u-turn and I recall the staff report says that is going to remain how do I get to the I know what I would do given the 25 minutes I spent tootling around that part of south of Sutterville but from your standpoint how do I get from going west on Sutterville to to the shop you would first off on that we discussed this installation of a hard median with the traffic department and we had some other suggestions to avoid uh, having to make someone go all the way down to I think Freeport is where you'd have to go and then come back because that's about all you can do in that area um, at the end of the day what you see before us is what the was was conditioned upon us so that's where we stand at today's hearing okay it's not the most satisfactory answer I'll be honest with you what I would do is what I did do on Saturday or whatever day I did it which is turn left on um, turn left on 21st go down 21st and I forgot the name of the street immediately south of Sutterville but there's a little roundabout and I just used that roundabout to do a u-turn come back up 21st turn right on Sutterville and then go two driveways down and into your establishment I don't know what that means for the you know for the traffic on uh, on uh, 21st but um, I kind of get the sense that you don't have a better answer a lot of people are going to do that I'm not saying it's a bad thing I'm just trying to understand what the what the traffic is yeah it it is a concern of how people do that and we tried to work through that but um, you know, I guess the good news is the morning traffic isn't necessarily in that direction the morning traffic is in the other direction so and most of our our customers obviously are morning people going to work so appreciate that and sort of a related question but for honestly a different purpose so page six staff report says um, 13 new a.m. peak trips and six new p.m. peak trips um, you are underscoring twice as many a.m.s as p.m.s 
But my question, and I think it's to staff, is I was really moved by one of our items last meeting where the peak trips in the traffic analysis only accounted for something like 20 to 30 percent of the entire traffic impact, given the fact that we always spend so much time focusing on peak trips. Any information on what the total trip generation is, not uh, in, including but not limited to AM and PM peak trips? Do, do we have anyone from Public Works who might be able to help? Good evening, Chair, good evening, member, members of the Commission, Anise Gabriel with the Department of Public Works, covering for my colleague, Zara Laxon. The, to answer your question, the total number of trips daily for this use would be about 1,009 trips. Okay. But that is throughout the whole day. And, and that's 1,009 trips generated by? This use. Okay. By the fact that there's a new coffee shop there that includes a drive-through, and I bet your analysis doesn't, maybe it does, tell us how many people are going to drive there, park and walk in the shop, versus how many people are going to drive there. Okay. I don't, we don't have that uh, much information on the, the pairing. Uh, the AM and PM peak hours are given, and you've cited them, and then the total daily. But, uh, and that accounts for a destination trip or a pass-by trip. So you're passing by, you see a Starbucks, you stop by. Understood. So that inclusive of all that. Appreciate that very much. Um, now I admit I, 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 the purpose of my question, and I'm going to direct my next question to the applicant and the operator, because I wasn't really asking it for the purposes that you do it for. Um, just sort of putting this drive-through question that keeps coming up, which I'll put on the table right now that, you know, usually that's presented to us as an environmental issue. This particular project is not a good example to sort of stick my flag in the ground on a uh, environmental justice issue. But when I read that it was only going to be 13 a.m. trips and 6 p.m. trips, whenever we get, confront this issue of drive-throughs, and this is really directed to the applicant and the operator, you know, there's this kind of retail science that if it's not a drive-through, it's not economically viable. So when I saw... 13 peak trips, you know, 13 and 6, I scratched my head and go, well, if only 13 extra people are going to use the drive through in the morning and 6 people in the evening, why is it so necessary to have a drive through for the economic viability of the project? Now, the answer that it's 1,000 trips, even though I can't trace them to the drive through again, I'm not going to fall on my sword on drive throughs in this particular matter, but given the fact that it's always squarely presented to us as the project's not economically viable unless we allow the drive-through, I just thought it was worth in a public forum to really drill down on why that is and how valid that retail science is. Can you all just elaborate? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going, uh, uh, I'm not crusading against the drive-through, but I just want to understand what it means to your business. I think this is a question like, directed yeah, towards the I think it is yeah. a question for the applicant regarding the drive-through and the data you're uh, citing. But I do want to, for the record, tell you that the trips for the Starbucks in our analysis or the assessment actually says 
that it will generate 126 a.m. trips oh. and 53 p.m. trips. And the 126 are 65 coming in and 65, 61 coming out. It doesn't say how many are going to the drive-thru and how many are parking. Yeah. So there's, I'm not sure what numbers you're citing, but from a traffic standpoint, it is 126 a.m. trips and 53 p.m. trips and 1,009 total daily trips. I very much appreciate that clarification. Pat, I was I reading off the of page 6, and I'm realizing that it references 21st Street, not the site. As I'm, I may be, Maybe it's elsewhere in the staff report, and maybe I focused on this because it's the only reference to trips in the entire staff report. Maybe staff can uh, clarify later, but appreciate that you're going to let the applicant answer my question. Okay, thank you. Um, regarding your question, in this, for this client, for this use, it's about 50% of the business, to give you a sense of um, why people say. And, and we also, I also represent other drive-through, and it is pretty much that way. About 50% of business uh, in any given drive-through slash sit-down uh, use is coming from the drive-through if that helps you understand why people say, oh, I can't afford to not do it. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. It does. I imagine that's in studies that Starbucks and its competitors do, and it's not the kind of uh, analysis we do for our environmental purposes in this forum, but I appreciate your answer. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Commissioner LaFosso. Commissioner Yee. Thank you. Um, I have a few questions, maybe for staff, but let me begin with the questions for perhaps for you. Um, there is a screen wall on the south side you mentioned. Can you describe that to me? You mentioned it's eight feet. I, maybe it's in a staff report, but I did not see, uh, recall seeing a description of what a screen wall is. Surely. Um, it, we, there is a current screen wall that was built as part of the KFC project. That is a concrete block wall. Okay. And. It's approximately eight feet. It's like seven and a half. I but it is a concrete block wall. Correct. Okay. So I, that, that's what I was hoping for and not being able to define what a screen wall was. Okay. So um, maybe you know this and maybe this is a question for staff. Uh, there are some bollards, three in the alley to the east of the, uh, the site. Uh, that is, I would believe, the reason for a right-hand turn only on exiting into the alley. Why are those bollards there? I can tell you what I know from reading the KFC conditions of approval. It was part of that project to be put in, but beyond that, I don't know. You know, it's not the normal swing arm pipe gate I would see with an alley closure or something like that. Uh, I I can't speak to why that's closed. It may be closed as a condition of the, the KFC project. They do have the gate in the back, which is closed, unlike Starbucks' proposal, which would have an open gate but would, re, would allow only a right turn out of that alley, and knowing that that barricade is there. But I can't speak to why it is there now. And not knowing why it's there, I, I guess it doesn't make too much sense to challenge whether it still makes sense given this applicant, this project going forward. And maybe that's sort of beyond the purview of what we have. Uh, and next question is, again, regarding the alley, and I, I thought I read the staff report fairly thoroughly. 
what's the is there a requirement for the improvement of the alley west of uh, your site? Yes, the there's a condition in the conditions that uh, from our east property line all the way to 21st, we are to Concrete. repair, fix. With it, might it, looking at it, we'll probably re do full reconstruction from our it, east to 21st. It is 21st. fairly uneven. It's not great shape. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Um, Maybe this is not for you as a designer architect. What is the impact of this Starbucks to the one existing on Freeport and Sutterville? We're modeling an impact of about 25% cannibalization to the existing store. What does that mean to the viability of the existing Freeport? We are currently planning on keeping that store open, and it will still be viable with that impact of 25%. Okay, I hope so, because that's a pet peeve. Vacant storefronts, I think, are that's not, not our intention. Desirable. Okay, thank you. Um, we had talked a little bit about uh, trash pickup with the last discussion. Uh, I noticed that there was, although you couldn't, you can't get there easily in a car to the alley from the KFC. There is trash with KFC logo on it, so I assume it's from the business. And now that we have an exit out of Starbucks onto the alley, uh, can we expand the responsibility of litter pickup to not just the public way as we have talked about in the last project, but you know, really to include more of the alley? I think that speaks to the, the discussion on the previous project. Uh, where Bill Wan used to have a condition for pickup of trash on the site and adjacent rights of way. Um, that condition was modified through uh, police's um, coordination with the attorney's office. Um, I don't know why that language was modified, um, but it was taken out that we require the, the cleanup of adjacent rights of way. Okay. Because so, the alleyway would be adjacent right of way. Okay, so that is although I didn't recall it, that is in the conditions as? Yes, yes the condition applies to the site, as written, as to the site only. Okay, so it applies to the site. And so when trash uh, accumulates in the parking lot of the apartments or residential on the south side of the uh, alley, Starbucks does not have a responsibility to pick that up according to the conditions that we have it. According to the conditions, um, and, and maybe I, I would defer to, to the attorney, whether uh, Starbucks, if they are amenable to, to an increase of their trash pickup radius, whether that can be amended for that condition. I would be curious to hear your opinion. The question is if, um, if Starbucks was willing to pick up trash uh, within the alley and uh, adjacent to it, is that an amendment we can make to that trash pickup to condition which applies only to the site if they're amenable to it yes I, I wasn't part of the discussions that the sergeant is talking about I'm not sure what discussions went on with the, with our office I think the main problem though they're probably dealing with is general trash pickup and not trash attributable to the operation of the business that's kind of a problem and so uh, for example that's why you see in the, the cannabis uh, situation they'll have names on the receipts so they can tell where the trash came from the problem is causing somebody to pick up other people's trash and so the issue they try to address is is the trash attributable to the particular business 
So if there's a cup with a Starbucks logo on it and then there's a wrapper <laughs> with KFC on it, they would only be obligated to pick up their cup. But that's better than nothing, I guess, if they're agreeable to it. You know, maybe that should have been uh, revisionist history going back to KFC and tying that up a bit. But we have what we have and just trying to improve what uh, uh, the neighbors to the south side of the alley uh, endure. I thought it was worth asking. If I may, we were just discussing, it's exactly that slippery slope, like where do we stop? If clearly if it's our customers putting trash out there, we would take care of that, I guess is, but I don't know how to write that legally, to be honest. Well, let's, if there is no way to legally do it, let's make sure that it's the intent, the spirit of what we're doing here, of being a good neighbor. Absolutely. And, and maybe, because I do patronize uh, drive-throughs on occasion, to put a trash receptacle somewhere near the drive, the exit to the alley might help too. I think we'd be happy to if it wasn't in the line of sight that we were dealing with for the location of the building. For the, we, we were on the alley side. No, oh no, not on the alley side. We could put one there. Absolutely. Exit at the alley. Oh, I thought you meant on Southern. I'm worried about my concern is trash accumulating in the Yeah, alley. I think that would be a wise idea to put a. You don't want to block your right turn only sign, but maybe somewhere in there. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Yee. Commissioner Ogilvie, followed by Vice Chair Burke. I have a, one question for the applicant and one for staff. Um, said 50% of the business in a drive-through establishment is the drive-through. How does that relate to non-drive-through Starbucks as far as total revenue? So it, it somewhat depends on the particular store, um, but a drive-through typically has, you know. Um, I want to say a 33% higher uh, income than a non drive through store would. Would this project be viable without the drive through? Um, we certainly haven't looked at it uh, on a non drive through basis. Um, but I, it would have a significant impact on our, our pro forma model for sure. Thanks. Thank you, Commissioner Ogilvie. Vice Chair Burke. I actually have a. Sure. Let me go ahead and cue your own mic. On um, page eight of the staff report under land use, second paragraph, I just found the phrase a little questionable that um, a drive-through would help transform auto-oriented commercial corridors to mixed-use pedestrian and transit-friendly environments. I wonder what the rationale behind that is. The rationale on that is in this project we're looking at it both as a uh, economic development standpoint as well um, as a land use uh, standpoint. Um, from for this project, we don't see that the uh, land use question of a drive-through and the economic development aspect of uh, utilizing an underutilized site um, that they they're not mutually exclusive of each other. Uh, based on the design of the site, they've been able to. Um, increase those pedestrian amenities. Not only will they increase um, the outdoor seating and patio amenities, uh, but they will be providing a uh, new six-foot sidewalk where it's only five-foot sidewalk. Uh, that sidewalk will have raised curb and will allow for a future bike lane. Um, and to balance that, uh, they will be able to serve some of those existing pass-by trips on, on Sutterville Road, 
um, for the convenience of the drive-through use. Uh, we don't think developing that corridor uh, with a new use, uh, an economically viable use, is, is mutually exclusive of um, trying to uh, prohibit uh, the drive-through use. So 20 years from now, I mean, as the corridor transforms and we still have a drive-through here and AFC, that could be a potential future blight on an otherwise transformed corridor. I don't know. That's a possibility down, down the road. Any more questions, Commissioner Ogilvie? No, Great. Thank you. Vice Chair Burke? I, I just, I might have missed something. Was there any talk about deliveries? Um, how would that work, especially with the configuration of the, the parking spaces and all that in the drive-thru? So deliveries would come in through our Sutterville Drive and come through the parking lot and exit out the alley. Just, just uh, actually similar to fire trucks. Would the timing be the same as when the business is in operation or would it be like an evening type of thing when it's closed or? It's early morning. Thank you, Vice Chair Burke. Commissioner Lindsay. Uh, yes, I wanted to ask if you could discuss uh, a little bit more in detail the circulation plan, the circulation for the drive-through, and then the circulation designed to accommodate pedestrians and bicyclists, how, how they would. Surely. So um, the primary, since, since the alley is an exit only, mm -hmm. people will be coming in Sutterville and would come straight down towards the drive-through entry right there. Uh, and then we have a, you, you, the city has much rules on the drive-through design and we've complied with all those. I think we had an 11 car stack. I'm going from memory here. I think it, it exceeded the It exceeded. Eight. Correct. And so then once they came through uh, and got to the drive-through window, picked up their product, they would come straight out and exit right onto Sutterville. So that's the vehicular movement of the drive-through operation. From pedestrians, we have a direct connection uh, from our patio out to the new sidewalk so that there would be no Cross, we try to eliminate as much crossing of con, uh, pedestrians and vehicles as possible. So that's our concept of. So they don't have to go through or the driveway or anything. They have their own access. Correct. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Lindsay. Commissioner LaFosso, followed by Commissioner Yee. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Commissioner Yee inspired me to start some more trash talking. And um, Ash, also, I'm going to have a question for Public Works. This is more a question for Mr. Heron. Back to this question about the uh, trash pickup and the adjacent, apropos to the earlier conversation, would it be legal to have a, have a condition that articulated something to the effect that an applicant or a permittee or whatever is responsible for trash cleanup on it, or cleanup of trash, responsible for adjacent properties relative to cleanup of trash attributable to the business or with a nexus to the business? In other words, could the condition specify the attribution? I realize it's an interpretive question, but just as a facial matter, can a condition contain that qualification and be 
legal, for lack of a better term. The part about what you said that gave me pause is on going onto other people's property. Uh, I think that's a problem. I'm sorry. I meant to say I meant to say right of ways. I'm sorry. I garbled. I'm so fixated on the attributable thing. I garbled. Right I haven't given that deep thought, but it sounds plausible to me. Okay. I, I wish I'd been part of those conversations the officer was talking about. So do I. Um, I, uh, I'll let a colleague uh, push it as a condition, and or it, you're engaged. I get the sense that you'll be thinking about this, and we'll get the benefit of your thought, at least in the future, if not tonight. But appreciate your response. Um, public Works. I, is it Mr. Correa or Cabrillo? Name's Anise Gabriel. Gabriel. With a G. Thank you. Oh, okay. Thank you very much for helping me with that. Um, I do appreciate your standing your ground at the podium and my earlier question to make sure you got all the information out. But I'm, I'm, I'm still cogitating on it, and Commissioner Ogilvie's question in terms of thinking about the issues about the drive through and its impact on the corridor caused me to just wonder. I mean, you, you, you can tell I'm – there's a – policy issues relative to, to drive-throughs, you know, some of us are thinking about. Are, are, are you, is Public Works able, maybe not today, but maybe thinking about this in the future, able to think about what the existence of a drive-through means for the traffic analysis in terms of what, what percentage of drive-throughs, whether it has any impact on trip generation, whether it has any impact on route patterns. I'm, I'm, I, I mean, I'm fishing here, but I'm, I'm trying to draw on your expertise to see if your analysis in the future might give thought to the impact of drive-throughs. And the lens through which I was looking at was Commissioner Ogilvie's question about, you know, impact on a corridor relative to, you know, you know, encouraging pedestrian and non-vehicular uses and that kind of thing? I can attempt to answer that. Actually, we do have that already, and it is part of the nationwide ITE standards, Institute of uh, Transportation Engineers. A restaurant of similar size, whether it has drive-through or not, the trip generation is different. You would tend to have higher trip generation from a drive-through. We already know that answer. Um, so I thought you were going to lead down the question that you asked the applicant regarding profitability, and, and I don't think we get into that. But we do know um, modeling from several nationwide businesses of similar size and use, and we have charts and tables, and those things get updated as new data comes along. I'll cite an example. Um, typical drive-through restaurants like a McDonald's or Burger King, you know, we treat them all the same. Uh, there's an average. But when you have new entities, and I hate to get into the names, but like in, in and out that's very popular, uh, ITE has not caught on yet. We don't have enough data to see the difference and maybe uh, 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 make a special trip generation rate for those. Starbucks drive-through is possibly one of those as well. Um, so we treat them as a drive-through. Uh, we look at where the corridor, where the project is. We look at the potential impacts of the drive-through 
to the corridor, and we analyze that and see. In this particular case, we felt comfortable. They're, they meet the city code regarding the drive-through length, but the way they oriented and we worked with them, there is additional factor of safety stacking on site. And we also felt comfortable with putting a condition about monitoring that if things go a little, um, you know, that we would work with them to remedy those issues. I hope I answered your question. No, that's, that's very thorough. Just uh, two quick follow-ups. One, you said something about stacking and monitoring. Do I understand correctly that's, that's in the conditions here? Yes. We would don't want the stacking. We don't want the stacking to be beyond what's the drive-through and the parking lot to affect Sutterville Road, which is a very busy roadway. So we want them to monitor, and of course, you know, uh, if there are any complaints or any, any issues uh, by our investigators, we wanted the ability to be able to work with the applicant in the future. Appreciate that. My second follow-up is, uh, this is probably unfair on the spot, but I'll try it anyway, which is, do you know if this project didn't have a drive-through, how the trip generation analysis, how the data would change? It would change not significantly. Uh, I don't know the exact number. It will be less than what it is shown, what I cited. Okay. I appreciate that. And sneak in one more follow-up. Given the nature of Sutterville, you already described it as a, you know, it, it's, it, it, it's a, you know, it's a reasonably heavy traffic street. It's got the big bridge over the tracks, et cetera, et cetera. Does the nature of the thoroughfare on which the drive-through establishment is located, does that context impact your analysis? It doesn't, but it, most of them want to be on busy thoroughfares from a business standpoint, and most of them are, yeah. uh, um, and freeway commercials and so forth. Uh, but um, um, definitely it does in a context of the actual site design and how the site is laying out and how the drive-through is laid out and there's a potential for conflicts. Yes. Okay. I really appreciate your responses to my questions. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Commissioner LaFosso. Commissioner Yee. Thank you. I have a quick question for staff. On page 11 of the staff report, uh, bullet item number one, speaks to uh, locations of speakers, lights, and such that they shall not unreasonably impact adjacent properties. How do you define unreasonable? For, for that, we, we look at, at context and what's adjacent. For this, as far as the lighting, that's already uh, conditioned by, by police, uh, that their lighting shall be um, contained by, uh, like, the full cutoff light fixtures. As far as sound, we looked at what physical... Um, mitigations they're proposing for that speaker box. Uh, in this, we already discussed the wall, um, and that's something we think is, is in a reasonable accommodation, even though they're not required to build one there. They are building one for the attenuation of noise. Okay, and my, my concern was that there was uh, someone adjacent that took exception to it, and the question then, what's the basis of their complaint or their concern is why, uh, you know, unreasonable is difficult to quantify generally for noise we we go by the city's noise standards which has a maximum decibel decibel level for impacts on residential properties great thank you thank you commissioner Yee. Uh, i do have one question for 
the applicant and the representative from Starbucks. Again, you may not be able to answer this question, but I'll, I'll ask anyway. In terms of, you talked about how many trips you expect and the percentage of your revenue be, be through drive-through trips. Is this based off of other Starbucks that are near uh, junior colleges or university type campuses as well, or is this more related to the general market? I would say it's, it's more related to the general market, although we, I'm taking into consideration the fact that it's across from a, a city college. And then the hours, you said 5.30 to 11 is what you're requesting, correct? Yes, we, we would be happy with that from our five to midnight original request. If You'd be looking for that for seven days a week? Okay. And then the other Starbucks is nearby that Commissioner you referenced before. What hours of operation for that Starbucks, if you know? I want to say they're the same. I'd have to double check, but I believe they're the same. Thank you. All right, we have no additional questions for staff or the applicant. Now would be time for public comment. I have all of zero comment sheets in front of me, so if there's anyone in the crowd who'd like to speak on this item, now would be the time. Seeing none. Now would be the opportunity for commissioners to provide comments and or motions related to this item. Starting with Commissioner Coville. Uh, a comment, and then I would like to move staff recommendation with the 530 request. But uh, I frequent Starbucks, you know, different places I go, and I know every corner is going to be different. But there's one I go to in the Bay Area where... Um, this, there's not a drive-through, and you just see the parking lot, not only that parking lot of Starbucks, but you can just tell all the neighboring parking lots are filling up with people going to that Starbucks, um, going into the neighborhoods and parking in the neighborhoods, and, and then people wrap around the building, believe it or not, and inside. So even the experience inside isn't that great because you've got people all standing next to you waiting in line to get to it um, good to be in that position that's so popular but uh, I noticed with this particular project I'm certain it's going to be successful in that location but I noticed it has nine queue room for ten queuing cars if I'm not mistaken um, which I view is in a way this is probably gonna uh, be a good thing for this project because um, although they are providing a lot more parking spaces than are required, but I just kind of view it as more than likely going to be a good thing that it's a drive-through. I know sometimes drive-throughs drive have a, a negative connotation, but I think in this case it would probably be beneficial for this particular site. Um, and I'll move staff recommendation with the 530 uh, request. Thank you, Commissioner Coville. We have a, a motion to move staff recommendation with the um, amendment to start time at 5.30 a.m. Do we have a second? Second from Commissioner Pluckenbaum. Continue with Commissioner comments. Commissioner Lucian. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, keep this short. Uh, I, I do want to uh, start off by saying that um, I think that uh, the distinguished commissioner 
um, from the Land Park area made a very uh, good suggestion, at least it sat well with me, um, that uh, to some extent drive throughs should, um, I think, uh, incorporate trash receptacles um, somewhere at the end of the line or, um, yeah, usually at the end of the line. Um, and so I think that uh, if the applicant is amenable to it, which he seemed like he was, uh, that should be something that uh, is definitely um, considered. Uh, and then I think, uh, secondly, to put on my, uh, well, keep my commissioner hat on, but uh, put my uh, my dad hat on. Um, drive these are great when you have kids. You got to take that into consideration. Um, we don't want to deprive parents of their coffee. So, uh, <laughs> having said that, I would like for the uh, uh, distinguished gentleman who uh, made the motion um, to move the staff recommendation to consider um, a condition that adds uh, a, a trash receptacle, uh, unless Commissioner Yee has uh, um, a more um, Think perhaps nuanced way of articulating just where and how it should sit and what it all should mean. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Commissioner Lucius. So we have a, uh, a friendly amendment to the motion to include a trash receptacle at the end of the drive-through. Commissioner Coville, are you talking about the end of the drive-through, or are you talking about on the alley? Folks, okay with that? Uh, yes, we are. Again, the only thing on the end of the drive-through, there are there are a location we can't put it. Obviously, two sight line distances, but for surely we can do that. Okay. Well, I'm okay with that. Commissioner Coville, you're okay with that. Commissioner Plugabon. All right. So we have a friendly amendment to the motion to include the trash receptacles. Thank you, Commissioner Lucian. Commissioner Ogilvy. Thanks. Um, I think this is a great place for a coffee shop. It's proximity, obviously, to City College and Land Park and the residential neighborhood to the south. Um, I'm not convinced that this is the best location for a drive-through. I would like to know if I'm surprised that you didn't study the feasibility of it not being a drive-through. Um, so I'm not, I'm not in the position to support this project. Thank you, Commissioner Ogilvie. Commissioner LaFosso. Thank you, Mr. Chair. A couple quick comments and then a question. Um, one, I just wanted to say this. I'm really glad you're not displacing Burgess Burgers. I love that place. I made sure that was true when I looked there. I just want to say that. Two, just for the record, um, apropos to my conversation about the circulation pattern and having been corrected on the peak trips on the establishment versus 21st, I think just for the record, I may quibble as to whether that impact on 21st is as low as it is. I don't have a solution. I don't have a robust basis for my analysis, but I'm just going to demur publicly. Um, just on this drive-through thing, so um, it's probably obvious to anyone who comes to planning commission meetings, and I'm not going to let this issue go until we get a more robust way of addressing this. Um, in fairness to, in my 
interpretation of Commissioner Ogilvie's point. Applicants aren't going to robustly study this question unless we make them. Um, I'm on a tweener about this site in general. It's a funny place. I like, I mean, I'm, I'm coming to it internalizing all the environmental justice issues and at the end of the day, if the residents of Land Park and Curtis Park aren't complaining about it, I'm not going to fall on the sword today. I do not want to mischaracterize your comments, Commissioner Ogilvie, but I thought you offered a different perspective, which is kind of a pedestrian corridor transformation perspective. It's kind of a different one. Again, there's a lot, kind of a lot going on in here, and, you know, I, I guess I'd lose it if there wasn't a clean crosswalk to make sure all the students from City College can cross over. Um, so I'm really on the cusp about it, but all things considered, I'm going to support the motion, but I really want us to get a handle on this drive-through thing. I really appreciate the Public Works comments about the analysis. I'd love to see some drive-through if with and without analysis and future staff reports. I think that would really add robustness to this discussion. Um, it would also encourage applicants to take their drive-through applications a little bit more seriously. Um, I guess I close being rather satisfied with the rigor of our drive-through analysis today, even if uh, ultimately I'm going to vote for the motion because I'm going to read the mood of the residents of Land Park and Curtis Park. Um, I appreciate uh, Commissioner Koval's and Commissioner Lucian's comments, and Commissioner Lucian, it is always appropriate to have your dad hat on. That's an opinion. Um, there are there are competing tastes, and while I don't entirely disagree with your comment, Mr. Ablog, about the economic development analysis and the land use analysis as being mutually exclusive, I do think our land use perspective dilutes our land use consideration, referencing back to the you know, pedestrian corridor policies that Commissioner Ogilvy was referencing in that conversation. Again, I'm not going there today, but I'm chomping at the bit there to go there another day, and um, I'm not going to let go of this issue. One quick question before I close. Uh, the issue about the 5.30 start time, Chair asked a great question about seven days. Two-part question to staff, which will bleed into a question for the applicant. Does staff have a comment on why it wanted 6, not 5.30? And would this situation be a little bit better if it were 5.30 on weekdays and a little later on weekends? At this point, we haven't considered a, a, a different restriction based on the day. Um, our thinking in requiring the restriction of hours that we did is, although it doesn't meet the strict code requirements to have that um, 7 to 10 a.m. operating window because it, it doesn't directly abut residential, it is across the alley from residential. Um, if, if staff was asked to, to respond to that request to modify the hours, um, our current position would be uh, that at this point we'd prefer to keep the hours as conditioned from 6 to 11. If they were able to, uh, down the road, display that they are um, operating without any nuisance or noise issues, uh, we'd be amenable to modifying that, but only based on proof of compliance with our noise ordinance. Okay. I suppose we could tweak the condition to, to make it 530 and give staff some uh, 
flexibility to adjust it if there were some types of problems. I'm sure that would have to be very concrete. And again, I'm just throwing this out there. I'm going to let others take the lead on this question. I'm not going to fall on my sword in this one either. Just not in the mood to impale myself tonight. Um, anyway, thanks for the answer. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Commissioner LaFosso. Um, I'll have to follow Commissioner LaFosso's question because he brings up a good point. You mentioned that staff has the ability, if the existing uh, proposed staff motion was moved, to potentially move the hours from 6 a.m. back to 5.30 if there were no nuisances in, nuisance complaints. Is the same in reverse? So, for example, if we were to move with the current motion that stands, the 5.30 time, and there are nuisance complaints, what mechanism would need to be triggered to change those hours from 5.30 to 6, if any? I don't know, maybe the city attorney could help answer this question, but generally um, questions re related to compliance with conditions uh, bring the whole CUP into, into question. I don't know if we could necessarily go after a specific condition um, on the CUP versus going after the whole CUP itself. Thank you. And I believe we discussed this item on another project uh, somewhere in Midtown. And so that being said, uh, well, I understand the applicant's desire to uh, have earlier open hours. As someone who gets up around that time, it'd be nice to be able to get my little muffin from Starbucks at 530. However, I, I think I can wait till 6, which is what I do right now. And um, given that there is a more difficult mechanism to go reverse, I would ask Commissioner Covell to, to think about possibly revising his uh, motion uh, to be consistent with staff's recommendation at 6 o'clock. Actually, I, I wished I had asked that question before I had made the motion. So I, I would be happy to go to the 6. All right. So I believe I'm going to looking at Commissioner, or excuse me, attorney, the city attorney, Mr. Heron, is, would I formally be making a friendly amendment to revert back, or what exactly am I doing right now? Maybe it's just been a long evening. <clears throat> you could uh, approach it two ways. You could have a friendly amendment changing the motion to, to the hour suggested by staff and its conditions of approval, or somebody could make a substitute motion. It's, at this point, it's, it's open to how the maker of the motion and the second would uh, be amenable to changing their motion. All right. From, uh, I'll go with the friendly amendment. How about that? For me. Do we have a second, Commissioner Pluckyball? Thank you. I see no other commissioner comments. So we currently have a motion to move staff's recommendation with a friendly amendment to include trash receptacles and another friendly amendment to keep the time at 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. seven days a week. I think we're prepared to vote. Aye. LaFaso? Aye. Farrell? Aye. Lucian? Aye. Lindsay? Aye. Ogilvie? No. Buckabom? Yes. Rogers? Oops. Juan Conley? Aye. E? Aye. Vice Chair Burke? Aye. Chair Bodipo Member? Aye.
All right, the motion carries. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to, to take a brief recess before we go to our last item to allow folks to uh, stretch their legs for a few minutes. So if folks would please return back in about five minutes. We'd greatly appreciate it.
Ladies and gentlemen, we will be restart the hearing in approximately one minute. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to restart the June 8th Planning Design Commission hearing. We'll restart with item number 7, P17-012, the Ingenium Transfer Facility. Before Mr. Norman starts his presentation, are there any disclosures or recusals? Seeing none, good evening, Mr. Norman. Good evening, Chair Buripo Memba, members of the Planning and Design Commission. My name is Garrett Norman. I am the project planner for the Ingenium Transfer Facility, project file number P17012. The project is located at 6063 Foodling Street, which is within the Sacramento Army Depot lo located on the southwest corner of Fruit Ridge Road and Florin Perkins Road. Before you this evening is a request to operate a hazardous waste transfer facility within the Heavy Industrial Zoning District. City code requires the operator to receive a conditional use permit to handle hazardous waste material. This proposal consists of the transportation and temporary holding of hazardous materials from customers in the Sacramento region that produce hazardous waste, such as medical clinics, pharmacies, surgical centers, universities, and the like. It's important to note that the applicant will not be packaging or repackaging the waste materials. The applicant picks up fully sealed containers and transports them back to the subject location until they are picked up by a separate company who then transports them to the 
proper disposal facility. Staff supports this project because it supports general plan policy related to expansion of industrial uses within industrial zoned areas, is compatible with the surrounding uses, and has been conditioned to ensure a safe operation of this facility by complying with all the necessary permits and licenses regulated by multiple agencies. Staff has provided supplemental material for this project. You should all have a copy in front of you. And this is to add a condition that requires two parking spaces to comply with the 50% shading requirement. Only two of the seven spaces are required to comply because the other five non-conforming spaces have prior credit. Staff recommends the Planning and Design Commission approve the project subject to the conditions of approval and based on the findings of fact listed in the staff report. Thank you, and I will now turn it over to the project applicant who will do a brief presentation. Good evening, Chair, Chair members. My name is Damien Galford with EnviroMine. I'm a project manager and was hired by Ingenium to help them process the conditional use permit application. Um, uh, I'd like to first thank Garrett for his uh, time and Antonio as well on this project. They've been extremely responsive and uh, as such the project has moved uh, swiftly. Um, can't say that too often when dealing with planning projects, but this one has seemed to hit all the, the milestones that we initially put out there. So uh, thanks for your good work on that. Uh, this project, uh, in a sense, it is a hazardous waste transfer facility. Uh, that is the, the, the need for a use permit, but it's essentially just a trucking and warehousing business in the core. Um, and not a very busy one. Uh, essentially, the, the applicant has anywhere from two to four bobtail trucks uh, operate out of the yard. They go out probably once a day. They go out to do their pickups at their various customers around the Sacramento area and come back at the end of the day. And those are, those are daily trips. And then roughly once a week, a 53-foot semi-truck and trailer, uh, once, one or two times a week, leaves the site. So very low traffic. You know, it's not a very busy trucking yard. Um, so... That's the, the basics of the business, and the types of materials they're handling is a little bit unique, so that's the need for, for the use permit. So it's a pretty simple project in its nature, um, and it's at a M2 heavy industrial zone piece of property that's fully developed in the Army Depot, surrounded by other heavy industrial users. So I think the applicant did a, did a decent job picking the, the proper site for this type of use um, and working with the city to get the use permit to allow so I'm going to turn it over to Scott Rendelman. He's the Chief Compliance Officer for Ingenium, and he's going to tell you a little bit more about their company and the specifics of the types of materials they're handling. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioners. Uh, please pardon any missteps I might have. I've not spoken before a commission like this before, so uh, here we go. Ingenium is basically a hazardous waste transporter, and we have been operating since 2007. Uh, the owners have, uh, individually amongst themselves, uh, close to 30 years' experience individually in this industry. Um, secondarily to that hazardous waste transportation that we provide to our clients, we also provide consultative services to help them uh, comply with environmental regulations and safety regulations at their facilities as far as handling their hazardous materials, storing their hazardous materials, uh, responding to spills, training, uh, dealing with permits and licensing issues with the environmental agencies and such as well. We have three locations already here on the West Coast, one in San Diego, uh, San Diego area, specifically Escondido, one in the Bay Area, specifically in Milpitas, and one up in Seattle. We have been growing a lot of business here in uh, the Sacramento area, 
servicing that out of the Bay Area. And what we're hoping to obtain with this Army Depot is to lessen the environmental impact of having to come up here, pick up that hazardous waste from the clients, drive it all the way back, and then have it shipped out of state from that location. So we'll make it much safer, much less handling on the roads when we have that stuff here at the Army Depot, locally collected, locally uh, consolidated, and then sent off site also want to point out that we are heavily regulated as far as uh, regulations go, starting at the feds all the way down to the local level at the city level. And we have to maintain compliance with OSHA regulations in regards to health and safety, and that requires a lot of training for our employees. Uh, we have to comply with TSA. They have security requirements and security plan requirements for hauling and transporting hazardous materials and hazardous waste. EPA, the Department of Toxic Substance Control here in the state of California. The DOT specifically regulates the transportation of the hazardous materials. California Department of Public Health, because we would haul medical waste as well. Uh, we have got the California Highway Patrol because we're on their highway here in the state. And the Air Resources Board because we are driving diesel trucks that exhaust. So there's a lot of regulatory oversight on us. And a lot of these facilities will be showing up at our door to ensure that we are complying with all of their regulations. And then lastly, just a little bit more information on that 10-day transfer facility because that's what we are going to be operating as. In order for us to do that in compliance with DTSE of the Department of Toxic Substance Control's regulations and then the EPA's regulations, we are allowed to pick up properly packaged hazardous waste, which means it's packaged to DOT requirements, which is pretty secure containers for that stuff to go into transportation. Once we take possession of it, we've got 10 days, and 10 days only, to get it going to that disposal facility. We are not allowed to open any of those containers. We're not allowed to process that material. We're not allowed to do any type of treatment to that stuff. It has to be maintained in those closed containers while we've got possession of it. And so uh, that was about it. If you guys have any questions for me. Thank you. We do have a few questions. Commissioner LaFosso. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Just a couple brief questions. One, uh, the message that you're, just a prefatory comment, the message that you're transmitting that was well in the staff report that lots of other regulatory agencies to account for conditions that might be of concern to us, message received. Uh, the, the Department of Transportation permit, my reading is that it covers a number of hazardous substances above and beyond the medical waste you're talking about. Does your applying or succeeding in applying for those permits means that conceivably you could process hazardous weight types that aren't the medical waste we're talking about? Or is there some other limitation? I don't know if I absolutely understand your question. Um, the application should be for a hazardous waste transfer facility, right? The conditional the use CUP? permit that we are hearing tonight. Right. So and at limits, notwithstanding the, the greater potential breadth of your state permit. I'm not understanding the question. Sorry. I read the description of the State Department of Transportation Transporter yes. Operator Permit to involve these various activities relating to hazardous waste. And I understood hazardous waste, and I can't quite call up, but there was a table that listed some like eight categories, and a lot of them was gasoline or fuel or yes. toxics. I'm sorry, yes. Stuff that's not medical waste. That is correct. So the DOT, if we're licensed from them uh, and through the state of California to transport hazardous waste, we have to be licensed to transport that first. Then, in addition, we can transport the medical waste. And so there is a lot of different hazardous materials as classified by the DOT that our license allows us to transport. Is that the question? So your DOT permit allows more than medical waste. It's only the limitations of the land use permit we're hearing tonight that says you can't do anything more than medical waste. 
I'm not positive on that as far as the plan. If we approve this, are you going to be able to do more than medical waste? That's really the question. Yes. Ah, okay. Now we're getting somewhere. Um, you help me out, Mr. Norman? Yeah, sorry. It's not only for medical waste. It's for all hazardous material. <coughs> medical waste is a component of their operation. Oh, do you process more than medical waste? No, I want to be clear. We do not process, process. any hazardous waste, any medical waste, any hazardous materials. We're not allowed to do that. I'm sorry. Do you, I, I'm using the word process loosely. The packaging, I think, is the principle. The... We transport that material? Yes, we will. We intend to transport hazardous waste. We intend to transport medical waste as well. Does your business model involve transporting more than just medical? Are, are you going to be transporting more than just medical waste at this facility? Yes, that is our intention. Uh, in the near term or the long term? Uh, as soon as the CUP is authorized and we satisfy all conditions, we intend to. Can you just specify a couple other types of hazardous waste you think you might be dealing with? They're predominantly the types of hazardous waste that we would haul. So in addition to that medical waste, predominantly it's flammable liquids. A lot of the biotechs, automotive industries, research institutes, universities, uh, will generate flammable solvents as part of their either processing or their uh, research. And that's predominantly the vast majority of the hazardous waste that we would transport. Okay. I, I was really so focused on the medical waste, I think I missed this in the staff report. I wanted to ask you if the, given the low, you know, impact, the couple trucks in and out you talked about, I mean, do you see this, do you see a significant growth trajectory? And I was thinking about, you know, our region's focus on health care as a potential economic growth area. But now you're telling me it's not necessarily generated by the health care industry. So I guess I'll broaden my question. Do you see growth in the number of trips as the years go forward? We would certainly hope for growth. But based upon our activities in the other locations, this is years out. Okay. That answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Last question. Well, again, I was so focused on medical waste, I can tell this question is going to be more complicated, but where ultimately do you take this stuff? Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, there's uh, very, very few disposal facilities in the state of California. Most of it heads out of state. Medical waste uh, is processed within the state in uh, certain autoclave or other types of approved treatment facilities, but any incineration of medical waste has to go out of state. We just don't have any approved medical waste incinerators here. Most of the hazardous waste processing also heads out of state to approve TSDFs, treatment storage and disposal facilities. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank You're you, welcome. Mr. Chair. Thank you, Commissioner LaFosso. Commissioner Wong Connolly. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, I guess uh, I have a question first asked the city attorney. Um, I understand that uh, this field is highly heavily regulated by both the federal and the state. So in terms of the local government making land use decision, what kind of discretion do we have uh, to regulate the, um, make decision based on the nature uh, of the business that hazardous material transportation? Well, we'd be preempted uh, to the extent that we're trying to regulate how the stuff is transported and handled, but uh, our focus is uh, within the confines of those regulations, uh, how do we feel about that as a land use and in the CUP process? But if your question is, is it possible to condition it in such a way that we could interfere with state and uh, yeah. Department of Transportation regulations? Yes, but uh, that's, that's a broad question. I'm not sure I drilled down deep enough for you. So essentially, we can comment on uh, what happened to the, no uh, the 
just like any other business, what's the noise and traffic impact to the local community and um, things like this, but in nothing spe specifically for uh, the hazardous material that they are handling because they, they are following the federal uh, and uh, state regulations on how to deal with the um, toxic material. Correct. We don't have the expertise to, to regulate in that area in addition to being preempted. Okay. Uh, understand. Thank you. So um, could you please talk about, uh, do you have any spill um, protocol? That, uh, uh, we have to have a spill protocol, and each of the trucks is required to be fixed or stationed with a spill uh, uh, equipment or spill kit. And at the facility itself, each of our other facilities, we will have stationed uh, spill kits just in case there is a spill. Unfortunately, on occasion, that does happen. Um, it, it's not very frequently at all. We've probably transported hundreds of thousands of containers, and we can count on one hand maybe, the numbers of spills that have taken place. And typically, uh, those are small spills, like uh, a pinhole develops, and we have to uh, address that and make sure that we securely package that for continued transportation. None of the spills that have occurred when we've been in possession of the material have resulted in environmental concerns or damage, uh, property damage, or uh, any type of uh, safety to employees or the public. Within 10 years' history of your company, there hasn't been any incident that uh, contaminated the, the soil or the surrounding uh, that is environment. Correct. No, no environmental impacts. But um, in case it does occur, uh, what's your protocol? You will call the fire department come to uh, to, to dig up the, the soil, or what do you do? Well, uh, the combination of things. Our, our primary response is our team is trained on this material, and we have to make the, the first uh, observation. And uh, at that point, we make a determination, is this a spill within our capabilities to what we've been trained to handle and the equipment that we've got to deal with? If it's not, or if it's something that's posing a threat to the, uh, the public, then we are uh, calling 911, and there would be the ones that would contain it. If there's any cleanup to be done, once again, that's something that our company does, and we would be able to clean up our own material. I see, but it never happened before. No. Um, okay, thank you. And then, um, do you handle radioactive material on this side as well? Uh, as we well? are allowed. We would be licensed to handle radioactive material, according to the DOT and actually a different agency, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, and also uh, California Department of Public Health Radiological Branch. So we have a license through them for that material. And you plan to operate here as well? In that would be the intention. Okay, I see. And uh, one question for the staff. I read that uh, the CEQA requirement is exempt because it's existing business uh, and then there's no, um, so that's pretty much the base of it. But do we an analyze the impact to the environment <laughs> shall the spill um, accident occur? From, from this standpoint, we did consult with uh, county environmental management. They also have a permitting process um, that requires them to obtain a um, hazardous waste material permit. Um, part of that is a requirement for, for reporting to them annually um, and reporting any, any spills. So we believe that that reporting would um, be responsible for any environmental impacts should any occur. So that is part of the reason that the CEQA requirement is exempt here. Yes, that and the reporting to, to other agencies uh, similar to D DTSC um, and the county. Okay, got it. Thank you. And then uh, one of the uh, 
uh, report here, one of the permits that uh, in attachment two in the table, it's a sacrament, uh, by Sacramento, it's a hazardous material business plan. Would you please elaborate what is that business plan and hazardous who do material, you get a permit from? Hazardous materials business plan uh, typically required if a business handles above threshold quantities of certain types of hazardous materials. And it's typically 55 gallons of a hazardous material liquid, 500 pounds of a hazardous material that's a solid, or 200 cubic feet of a hazardous material gas. And so if you have those at your facility that you're processing, you're triggering that hazardous material business plan requirement. So if we were going to be operating forklifts, we would have a propane forklift more than likely. That propane forklift would trigger a hazardous materials business plan through the, through the city. What's the rough content bullet point of this business plan? I'm sorry? What's the bullet point of this? The Part of the business plan is to have an identification of the business owners and contact information. Oh. It's also to list out what the activities are that involve hazardous materials or hazardous waste. Part of that also is a contingency plan that's driven by the federal government to do what do we do in case we have a spill or a leak of hazardous materials. And we have to satisfy that as part of this hazardous materials business plan. Who is the permitting agency for this business plan? I believe it's going to be the County of Sacramento for the HAZMAT business plan. Okay. I don't have a copy of that table in front of me, but I, if it's part of that CUP, I believe. Uh, it didn't say it's a county or the city. Thank okay. you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Do you want to? Yes, I, I believe that's the um, permit that I was uh, mentioning that goes to the County Environmental Management Department. Okay. Got it. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Wong Connolly. Vice Chair Burke, followed by Commissioner Yee. Just, just two quick questions. Um, for your other locations in Escondido and Milipitas, is it both the medical and this other hazardous waste, or is it just medical? Both, is it? Oh. Both. Both of those facilities, uh, we would intend to operate the same here. It's hazardous waste and medical waste. And for the Sacramento, that, that's before us today, is it 50-50 exactly. medical? Or is it you no, it depends upon the region and what type of competition we have. <laughs> for instance, in uh, Escondido, uh, it used to be predominant, we, about 50-50 medical waste and hazardous waste because we had some huge contracts with the Navy. So it fluctuates. We lost the contracts with the Navy, and now we haul more hazardous waste in Escondido than medical waste. Milpitas has taken a sudden turn. We've landed a bunch of big uh, biotech facilities, and our medical waste all of a sudden is, has increased there. So it fluctuates depending upon the nature of our contracts with clients. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair Burke. Commissioner Yee, followed by Commissioner LaFosso. Thank you. Uh, two quick questions. Uh, there's been some discussion about transportation of the hazardous materials. I believe you said that your company currently services the Sacramento area, and you transport it to your facility in the Bay Area. So my concern about safety of transporting the material is almost moot because you do that now. So the the danger, if that's not overstating the word, the concern about transportation from wherever your clients are to the Sacramento facility is no different than it is right now because you're providing that service already. Is that correct? We think it's going to be better, uh, maybe not specifically to Sacramento, but to those other cities that we drive that hazardous waste through as we take it all the way back to Milpitas. So we're taking full share of it instead of spreading uh -huh. it out? Okay. But we're also providing that service to those clients here in this location. What is your on-site security? On-site security, we are subject to the TSA, Transportation Security Agency, requirements because we transport certain amounts of hazardous materials. Part of that is to develop a confidential transportation security plan. 
Uh, so I get into a situation I can, I think I can discuss generalities for it. Maybe that's sufficient. <laughs> but we are required to address risks in three basic areas, and one of them is personnel security. So what are we going to do to mitigate risk for our employees? And we have a very significant background check on everybody that we have to work for us. The other one else is uh, uh, facility security. How do we keep bad people out of it? Which is one of the reasons why we love the Army Depot, because it is a fenced, secured facility, and the general public's not allowed in. They've got guard shacks that allow people in and out. And then lastly is en route security. We have to address those, and we have plans in place that we train our transporters to our truck drivers when they're out and about um, security measures that they need to follow. And your facilities will be improved or built to whatever the applicable building code requirements are as a minimum threshold, and then if the federal government or the state requires something more than that, then you will need to. We've expanded beyond for our transportation security plan, and so because of that, we've added additional fencing uh, that we would require to, to well, secure our area. One, one, I believe, one paragraph in here that I read over and over and could not understand was the fire sprinkler provision upon change. And so I'm going to make it the bold assumption that uh, given the many layers of regulatory agencies you need to work through, that the physical facility itself will be adequately protected. Physical facility itself will be adequately protected, and this is a point that I didn't mention for that 10-day transfer facility. Our operation of a 10-day transfer facility, we keep all of that material on the trucks. It doesn't go on inside the facility. That warehouse will not be used for storing any types of containers of hazardous waste or hazardous materials. But where are the trucks secured? For 10 days of material? They're sits. inside that locked fence okay. that we had mentioned. So thank not you for bringing that up. Not inside the building? No, no. absolutely not. Uh, landlord doesn't want that either. <laughs> okay. Great, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Commissioner Yee. Commissioner LaFosso. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Sort of a two-part question. First part for the applicant. What's, if you can tell me, your lease term with your landlords at Depot Park? Signed a five-year lease. Got it. Okay. To staff. So this is a conditional use permit. This runs with the land. I won't open the door on time-limited permits. I'll save you that, Mr. Heron. But give sense of the renewal cycle of some of the other key permits, like the DOT transporter permit. How frequently does the applicant have to renew all these critical permits that hold all this together? Five-year cycles, 10-year cycles, 50-year cycles? Maybe, maybe the applicant okay. could, could better speak to that. Right. For the CUP, I'm, I'm not sure. But Please for all the other uh, items that we've got, um, the, DT, the California Department of Public Health, um, that one has to be renewed. I believe it's on a two-year basis. Two-year two -year basis. And we're subject to twice-a-year inspections from those guys. Uh, California Highway Patrol is on an annual basis. The DTSC is on an annual basis. EPA is a one-time deal. Uh, back in Washington, D.C., we're not going to see them. Um, California Highway Patrol, if I didn't mention, is on an annual basis. So typically it's going to be on an annual basis. If we have a hazmat business plan, uh, that will be on an annual basis, with the caveat that if we change anything or we want to change anything that we have in a permit, we have to apply for a change at that point as well. Did you cover the Department of Transportation permit? The DOT is a buy in uh, We have to renew it annually, pay fees, but we have to update information at least once every two years or as we significantly change the uh, number of vehicles or if we want to add uh, a hazardous material that we haven't previously told them we're hauling. Got it. And 
Are these — what I'm trying to establish is whether these renewals are pro forma or whether it's customary for any of these entities to decline to renew permits for any kind of reasons, and if so, what are those kinds of reasons that result in permits not being renewed? Well, for instance, if the county were to come out and find out that we weren't satisfying the HMBP that we put in place or, or the environmental rules that apply to us for that hazardous material, materials business plan, they have the authority at that point to maybe not renew our permit. Um, cases with the DOT, uh, there's special permits that they have that we'll apply for. Um, we have to renew those on a three-year basis. Uh, sometimes we've gone to renew them and they've declined it because they've archived the special permit. They've changed the regulations. They've made the special permit moot. So a couple of different ways they could be denied. I appreciate that. Your, your answer is responsive and I appreciate it. I'm going to drill down and ask for one more bit of help from Mr. Heron. So again, Mr. Heron, I'm steering away from the time-limited permit issue because we get bogged down in property rights. I kind of asked this question in the context of the entertainment permit in an earlier item. My impression is a lot of these permits aren't property rights per se, and some of the due process issues associated with revoking them or not renewing them are not the same, don't raise the same issues as the conditional use permits and all those property right due process issues we talk about in the context of what we do here. Am I channeling down the right road? <laughs> okay. You I, said would, I, was... I would also note, I'm not an expert in this area. I've been saying that a lot tonight, haven't I? There's a, some special rules in the state law, I would caution you, that, that uh, once a CUP is granted, imposing additional restrictions on the, the universe of waste they can accept uh, becomes a problem under state law. Uh, it has to do with how they've treated both existing facilities and facilities that do get a permit. So it, it becomes difficult for a city to uh, attempt to undo a CUP as to the scope of the waste that's accepted at one of these disposal facilities. I'm not sure if that's the same thing as a transfer facility, frankly. I understand you. I uh, appreciate your answers. I'll uh, delve into my reasons for answering the question when we get to comments after public Antonio testimony. Antonio may know more go a little farther down that that road as far as the operator um, I guess you, you could look at a situation where they they aren't able to renew their permits through one of those permitting agencies and they aren't in operation if they're not in operation for two consecutive years then their, their CUP is no longer valid got it appreciate it thank you everybody thank you mr. chair thank you Commissioner LaFosso because we have no additional questions thank you very much thank you That'd be the time for public comment, and I do not have any comment slips. Bold assumption that we have no additional public comments. So now we should move forward to uh, commissioner comments and or motions on this item. <coughs> commissioner LaFosso. Um, two comments, and then I think I'll make a motion. Um, I, I guess I was a little taken aback that I maybe I misread the staff report because I was so focused on envisioning all the medical waste issues because I was cogitating on the repackaging issue before I got to page five or whatever it is that explained that. But the fact we're doing more than medical waste, I think, took me aback a little bit. Um, my real issue, and I'm not in a position to overthink this, but I, I recently 
sort of did some drill down on power and economic development issues, and there's a lot of ambition for this area, and some interesting options for Depot Park that I've heard about at various times. And my focus was, you know, what's the long-term vision for Depot Park, and does this uh, support this or not? And I know anybody who's going to invest in a place like this envisions a long-term, you know, engagement and doesn't want limitations. So I'm not, again, I'm not trying to overthink this, but I am just articulating out loud, just trying to understand this through the lens of what's best for the vision of, uh, of the power in area and Depot Park specifically. I'll quickly work in that, you know, this is M2 and this is, <laughs> this is an appropriate use for M2. Um, one other thing I was going to say, and I can't remember, but uh, without overthinking it, I'm going to move the staff recommendation. We have a motion to move staff recommendation from Commissioner LaFosso, a second from Commissioner Pluckabaum. Any additional comments? Oh, excuse me, Commissioner Farrell, my apologies. Uh, seeing no additional comments, I'll, I'll just add, uh, I appreciate the conversation and the great questions from my fellow commissioners. Uh, have the pleasure of working in conjunction with organizations like those represented by the applicant today. Um, I think the economic development impact uh, of this type of use is something that's understated because it opens the doors for different types of businesses, including the biotech industry, to, to come to our region. So I think that that's very exciting. And I'm really excited by the fact that it's located in an area that is not in close proximity to existing or proposed uh, uh, residential development. But I do echo the comments uh, related uh, by Commissioner LaFosso about the future of the overall region. And, but I am confident that the transportation, the, the existing regulations that are there from a federal state level and also uh, hazardous material business plan options and the transportation management plan options that can be in place will help reduce some of the fears that fellow commissions have raised about the transportation of that material and the impact it may have on folks along the corridor. So that being said, I'm prepared to support the motion by Commissioner LaFosso. I think we are prepared to vote. Aye. LaFosso. Aye. Farrell. Aye. Lucian. Aye. Lindsay. Aye. Ogilvy. Aye. Buckabam? Yes. Juan Conley? Aye. E? Aye. Vice Chair Burke? Aye. And Chair Bodipo Memba? Aye. That is unanimous. Thank you. Congratulations. Moving on to the next item public comments. Matters not on the agenda. Seeing none, now be time for member comments. Commissioner Ogilvy, followed by Vice Chair Burke. Um, I just wanted to follow up on Commissioner LaFosso's um, points about perhaps there being a more robust study on the impact of um, drive through restaurants. Is that something that city staff can look into and see what one that would look like? Maybe there's some examples from other cities, both the impact environmentally but also fiscally, you know, I mean, asking the applicants to do an analysis of 
what their business model would look like without the drive-through it. That would be nice to see and just sort of understanding what the longer-term vision is for a particular neighborhood or district and, you know, while it might be good for right now, maybe in 15, 20 years it's not, so I don't know. Thank you, Commissioner Ogilvie. Ms. Gillespie, is there maybe an existing study that is moving forward, maybe provide some information as to what's been done thus far, what might be happening? Okay. So I had mapped um, a few months ago all of our drive-through locations, and I need to update that with the six or so that we've approved since then. Um, on a side note, for the conference, I've been working on a tech-based issue relating to drive-throughs, and this involves um, two different mobile applications. So trying to set up a, a test study comparing similar products that are at drive-through locations and sit-down locations and compare waiting times and so on. So it's a challenge I, I'll be working on over the summer. The goal was presenting that to the September conference. So um, it's a topic that is near and dear to me. Um, I don't know how much staff availability I have right now for doing a survey reaching out to different providers. So I'm going to listen to everything you just said and uh, Make note of it and get back with you on what is feasible to do. Would it be feasible to request applicants to provide a financial analysis of either business model? Um, we can ask that, sure. I know we have some other applicants we'll be bringing to you um, on other drive-through projects. I'm just throwing it out there. I mean, I'm not an expert in this on this topic by any means, but I thought it was an interesting suggestion and one worth thinking about. Thank you, Commissioner Ogilvie. Vice Chair Burke. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I just wanted to real quickly just echo our, our director's comments about the APA conference. APA is a great organization, American Planning Association. They have a lot of resources for planning commissioners, planning staff. Um, years ago when I was in graduate school, I got a scholarship from APA to, to get my master's in urban planning. So I'll be attending the conference. I'm actually speaking on one of the panels in, in my role at the Bay Area Council, but uh, um, I know the Sacramento section has a planning commissioner's workshop. Some of us have attended in the past. Uh, just a fantastic organization. So thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair Burke. Commissioner Lucian. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, as it relates to drive-throughs, um, I think one thing that I think we probably should keep in mind is that um, project viability um, is probably in the eye of the beholder. Um, when we think about, you know, what a drive-through would add economically versus not economically, um, I don't know that that in and of itself is the, the right question to ask. Um, Viability is more or less one measurement. Um, interest relative, meaning interest in moving forward with a project relative to the, I don't know, risk, uh, the appetite for risk that um, one man or woman may have over another uh, is an entirely different measurement, probably much more germane and probably much more difficult to capture. 
I, I understand we've had some some struggles with the, the drive-through, and there have been some claims that have um, questioned, um, brought into question environmental justice and, I don't know, healthy food access justice, and have tried to sort of conflate these issues that um, I, I think, frankly, um, are difficult to conflate with you know, a, a, a straight face without, you know, incurring, I think, a level of scrutiny that um, would probably warrant much, much, much more academic study uh, at best, or at least, rather. Um, and so I, I think that's if, if, if the I'm, – I'm not saying that the staff should not move forward with looking at that, but there is just a f much fuller, um, I think, breadth of context – that should also be given um, when taking into consideration a study of this nature because you might think that an investment that I'm making into this restaurant with a drive-through provides me with sufficient revenue, but you may not know I emptied out my pension in order to make this happen and I need it to be at a certain place or space just relative to my own personal financing endeavors. Um, and, and, and I would, I would absolutely oppose um, asking uh, applicants for their um, financial data um, for a number of reasons, but including but not limited to, um, I think you want to be careful because it still is irrespective of this government approval and sort of regulation side of things. Um, even after you sort of get past this, you still have to sort of compete in a more or less open market. Um, and I don't know that you'd entirely want to uh, disadvantage a newcomer over uh, an existing um, operator. But that would just be me. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Lucian. Commissioner LaFosso? On the same theme, Pandora's box has now been opened. Um, I initially queued up to follow up distinctly on Commissioner Ogilvie's question, but I'll offer some thoughts on Commissioner Lucian's comments. I, how do I say this right? I agree with you more, more than I disagree with you. Um, I'm advancing a point of view, but our responsibility is to be, you know, is to, our, our first responsibility is to respect the due process of applicants, which means that our process is supposed to be analytically robust and our criteria for making our decisions are supposed to be some ob objective to some sense. Um, my very first foray into this forum as a neighbor, I got a lot of discussion about the propriety of economic analysis of the decision-making process here. And the kind of the reality is we don't really make economic decisions per se. But like every regulator, economics is always in the background you know, whether you're, you're, you're imposing, you know, banking standards or environmental standards, you know, there's a solvency issue or a safety issue that drives the regulatory analysis, but how you treat the solvency, how far you're going to press on the solvency issue or the safety issue invariably is influenced by economics. So I think that we will necessarily proceed in the same manner that economics is in the background. Um, 
I thought we might, I, I, and I think your point about the, well, I sympathize with the environmental justice advocates, but at the same time, you know, I think that it's incumbent upon us to keep our analysis rooted in our jurisdiction, which is why, back to my initial follow-up to Commissioner Obu's question, my suggestion was that we frequently incorporate in the staff reports some traffic analysis, both with, without the, um, with, without the, uh, uh, with the drive-through. I think that would inform our decisions, but I think it would also hold the applicants accountable to some sense. Again, the economics is secondary, but it's something that we can't pretend doesn't exist. I don't quite know how to get to it, but apropos also to Commissioner Ogilvie's long-range question, and again, it kind of speaks to viability, but thinking about in land use terms, again, you know, a perspective was offered that this area has potential to be more of a pedestrian-oriented area in the future. It seems to me from a land use question, the issue is whether the drive-through may facilitate vehicle patronage but inhibit the growth in the future of pedestrian patronage. That is indirectly related to the viability of the project because if your near-term choice is diminishing your long-term potential, um, fundamentally, again, it is a land use issue. But if our land use policies take us to places that are supported by the economics, in my opinion, our land use policies will get will be a little bit more robust, which is, in fact, why I told Mr. Ablog I thought the, I thought the economic development and the land use, I thought the economic development issues were, in this context, diluting the land use issues, not supporting the land uses. And I'll say parenthetically, you know, in our nationwide debate on climate change, let's face it, the negative reaction that the president got to his action last week is in many ways driven because the economics support the environmental policy. So when the economics are supporting the environmental policy, back down to earth, what we're talking about here, if our analysis is showing how enhancing pedestrian uses, you know, drives foot traffic to the business, that helps the applicant. Um, so I'm just, I'm again looking for land use oriented analytics that analyze with, without, I imagine applicants want near-term, and I thought Public Works indicated that they could do near-term. Um, but I do think that in my reading of her comments, Commissioner Ogilvie's kind of pointed to something else that I really think that would get, that, that would be a long-range thing to think about, which is, you know, how are we envisioning the transformation of potential areas from the standpoint of the viability of the businesses that we're proving today. I think that's a helpful perspective. Anyway, enough said. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner LaFosso. Uh, real quickly, uh, again, member comments, ideas and questions. Um, I, I don't want to fully debate this item here on the dais right now because I think staff has taken the recommendation that they're going to further look to see their availability to, to further discuss this. So, Commissioner Lucian, before I, I, I pass this back to you, uh, I just want to preface that uh, to all the commissioners. Um, to the, oh, I'm sorry, Milo. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, to the extent that 
um, we we do continue to look at this um, to look at this issue. Um, I think it would be helpful to um, let's just say um, if this were to be uh, sort of a formal uh, analysis that were to be conducted in uh, or and adopted as part as a part of each staff report that was provided to the commission and to the public, um, I would uh, wonder or ask if we might be able to look into uh, establishing uh, certain standards whereby staff could articulate to the commission, um, let's just say based on the project, based on the studies, based on you know, the location based on, um, you know, whatever factors would go into our analysis that we could maybe use some sort of, <clears throat> and I'm going to throw these terms out without perhaps fully under understanding the implications, but, you know, the, a preponderance of evidence suggests that um, this project with this drive-through um, would undermine you know, these goals that we have for this community in terms of um, reducing vehicular miles traveled and increasing pedestrian steps walked or whatever the proper terminology is. Or, you know, there's some clear and convincing evidence that leads us to believe, based on these factors, that this would occur. Um, to the extent that we can sort of speak in those relatively definite terms, uh, that would be helpful because um, the what I don't want us to do is speculate sort of aimlessly without full context. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Lucian, and, and thanks to all the commissioners for the robust conversation. And I, I take it that staff is going to take a look, one, at the availability and provide some updates in the future as to at least the first steps about the drive-through mapping and, and getting some clarity as to the context of potential analysis in the future. A um, couple of quick updates before we adjourn. Uh, in addition to the APA conference, the Urban Land Institute is having their annual meeting on the 29th of June uh, at right across the street at, and I'm going to forget the name of the hotel now. Someone please help me. At the Citizen Hotel, thank you, Commissioner Vice Chair Burke, uh, 515. And this is an opportunity, again, for another land use organization that's been a great support to the city. Uh, we'll be discussing the waterfront and some of the plans that both Sacramento and West Sacramento have, have proposed for that very vital area. Um, and again, an opportunity for us to see some of the projects that we've approved and may see in the future. Uh, and beyond that, uh, I will just say, I look forward to having a fuller conversation on the items discussed by Commissioner Lucian, Commissioner Ogilvie, Commissioner LaFosso, and others. Meeting is adjourned. Adjourned or moved. <laughs>